Okay, here we are. We made this happen. I'm excited for this one. I'm excited too. It's it seems like it's been a long time coming, and uh, our schedules have have not quite met, but they finally did, and I'm excited. The last time we tried, the AC <laughs> went out, but here we are. So we have Daniel Melia uh, in the for house. For the record, I was willing to come in and sweat it out. <laughs> I think Mary Kate was the one who who put the kibosh to that, if I remember right. She was having an allergy <laughs> attack. It was like 89 degrees in here. I, I I just had to give you, I, I told you I was going to give you a hard time, so. I blame it on Brandon Hayes. <laughs> I, there you go. Yeah. If he ever watches it. So. He's a great one to throw under the bus. Throw him under, yeah. yeah. It's his fault. He, he, did you know he's a brand new Rotarian? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. He he joined yeah. that, huh? He did, yeah. So You guys did that flag project last week, yes. right? That yeah. looked awesome. Yeah. I, I'm actually the head of that project, and it's been a blast. We've got uh, 220-some flags out now that we right. have in the, in the rotation. And by the way, thank you for joining. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the definitely. Project. Yeah, honored to do that. Uh, we're excited. We're, we're going to keep pushing. And this year we kind of coasted a little bit with everything going on. And I think we added 20 or 30 flags in the last month or two. But nice. we're going to hit the ground running next year too. So. Right on. Well, let's start out and have you give some background, like how yeah. you got here, what you're doing in town. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the paper, and then we'll just go wherever it goes. Sure. You know? Yeah. So, so I was born and raised in Goodland. Uh, I, you know, K through 12 in Goodland. Um, graduated in 2004 from high school. Uh, I, I started a path towards aviation at a pretty young age. Uh, the, the location of our house on the, on the east side of town over in Goodland is like right under the traffic pattern at the airport. So when I was to eight, eight to 10, maybe I was a little older, I'm not sure, but I started riding my bike out to the airport because I found this path along this field road on the backside of a field, and I could kind of sneak my way through there and stay off all the surface roads. And, and I started going out there and hanging out with all the, the good old boys, we call them, at the airport. <laughs> and uh, let's see, they couldn't get rid of me, so they hired me. And really? uh, I, I worked the line all through high school, Learned to fly there when I was in high school. Took took my check ride my senior year in high school uh, for my private license. Uh, let's see what happened after that. Went to K State, um, the Salina campus at Kansas State, which is an aviation and technology school. Uh, so I have a I have a bachelor's degree in aeronautical technology with a, a minor in aviation safety from K State. Nice. Got out just in time for the horrible job market for pilots and uh, went down to Wichita, Kansas and joined a, a drone company down there that had some Department of Defense contracts. We were building some different aircraft systems and uh, helicopters and fixed wing aircraft and flying down there. So what year was that? That was like, you mean that like 2008? 2008. So yeah, after so kind of like everything crashed was right when you were getting out. Yeah. Perfect time. Right yeah. Now. Good I mean, time to get out of college. I mean, what is a good time if you really think about it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I bet right now somebody would say, Hey, that was a better time than right now. So I know at least, at least I could talk to people in the same room and, you know, not be weird about it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, so did some pretty exciting drone stuff down there. There's a, a a bombing range for the military outside of Salina. And at that time, the only place we could legally operate UAVs in the airspace system was inside that restricted area. So we had, uh, we had a couple of um, rotor wing helicopters that were 30, 35 pounds, carried about a 10-pound payload. 
just fire breathing gas powered behemoth helicopters. So they were gas. Yeah, gas powered. Wow. Really, compared to the, the the systems that we have now, it was a dinosaur, and that wasn't even that long ago. No, that's so twelve years ago. Yeah, and that's is that when drones kind of started? I, I'm going to be honest. It, I don't. It, I've never the path of drones. So isn't. so what we know as a drone, these four rotor little quadcopters that didn't kind of. I would say 2010, 2011 is when they really started coming around. Okay. You know, and, and they weren't very, you know, this company that, that I use a lot of my aircraft from didn't even really exist back then. They were just getting into it, and, and the, the the software and the hardware wasn't that great. But there's a really interesting reason that a lot of these drone manufacturers and everybody have just amped up over the last 10 to 12 years is because – that sitting right there by your bottle of water. My phone? Your phone. Because you can control it with that? No, not necessarily. There's a price war and a technology war to who can miniaturize the systems in those. You've got accelerometers in your phones. There's barometers in your phones. All kinds of different technology that they are in a war to see who can get them smaller, quicker, better, faster. And then those components are now available on the market to, to put into flight controllers and autopilot systems. Wow. So the, the autopilots in the last, oh, man, the one that we have been using on our fixed-wing aircraft costs 300 bucks. They have all kinds of redundant systems. So like the accelerometer, what keeps it level, there's three of those. If you have two of them fail, which is highly unlikely for even one of them to fail, you've got all these backups in them. The systems were just amazing. Right. 300 bucks for one of those things. The system that we were flying back when I was in Kansas was – $25,000. The gas-powered one? Yeah, with no backups. When something failed, it just... What, so what were you controlling it with? Was it like a big remote so, control? So, yeah, like so you had you had two options, basically. We had what we call the, uh, the EP, the external pilot, which was what I did a lot, where I had a controller in front of me with my finger on the, oh, you know what, switch. The old crap <laughs> switch? Yeah, the old okay. crap switch in case, uh, <laughs> in case something didn't do, which I used frequently. <laughs> And uh, you don't want to crash that because that's no, twenty five thousand dollars for I the mean, flight controller alone. We had some thermal camera payloads on those that were fifty thousand dollars, and it was just it was even a, back a then beast. Like, yeah. and that was two thousand. Yeah, and and now 10? I've got it, it, it's still expensive, but what I'm running on here was way better than I ever had then, and it's a fraction of the cost of that. It's still not cheap, right? But it, it, it's amazing. This is a miniature search and rescue helicopter mm-hmm. the only difference is i can't fly quite as high as them and i can't fly quite as long but it's still almost every capability it's it's crazy what the technology is doing. yeah and we're i would definitely want to get into all that i mean i'm just fascinated by the gas powered thing really yeah. quick right <laughs> yeah. so, so it was literally gas in that like, first of all is that dangerous right oh and yeah because i yeah. mean you're thinking about landing it taking it yeah. off what was the travel time on that i mean uh, so we had uh we had extended fuel tanks on them that could go for about two and a half hours. Okay. And I mean, wow. it's, think of this is literally a weed whacker engine. Right. It's, it's all it is. And, and how these, did you know where it was going and stuff? Did you have an just, LED? Just I watching mean, it. No, oh, so just, you just have to just see it, it and yeah. hope it's not like. Yeah. Gone. And back then it was, it was a lot more restrictive as far as where we could fly and how far away we could fly. So we kept them all pretty close and in, in, in the, in the development stage of it. And, oh man, it was terrifying. Every time we flew oh. those things, we had to, <laughs> we had no to, kidding. but this thing was, it weighed 30 pounds, and the rotor span was like seven feet. And if you can imagine a carbon fiber rotor blade spinning at 
I don't know what it was, two or 3,000 RPMs. Just, oh, man, it was a beast. <laughs> it is like a lawnmower. I mean, even just... you got to be even careful with these little ones. And, and But, man, there's huh. a reason that you don't see those flying everywhere today. Right. You know, it's 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 just uh, it's it's older technology, and, and it's a lot of vibration in those systems where it's like a traditional helicopter. But the cool thing about these little quadcopters that I brought, the only moving parts, if you take the camera that moves out of it, is literally the motors. And to get all the movements out of the aircraft, they just speed up and slow down. Uh. The, the the blades are fixed. These ones you can fold up, but that, that doesn't have anything to do with the flight of it. Um, and what's interesting is two blades spin one direction. So this blade and that blade, they spin left. And then these two blades spin right. And that's how you get the yaw motion out of it. Okay. So two of the same same direction spinning one slow down and the other two speed up. And that's how you get the yaw Gotcha. What did you mean that if you were to fold them up, it doesn't have anything to do it, with No, them? it's just for, for folding it up when you're done flying. Oh, I, got, I see what you're saying. Okay. So this one is pretty cool because it's kind of a transformer, and I want to make sure I can get this on the video here. But you can fold up the blades. The back legs fold How up. much does this thing weigh, and what is this model called? So this is the Mavic, uh, Mavic 2 Okay, it's Pro. a Mavic, yeah. Weighs about four or five pounds or so. That's with the battery in it and everything. Flies for and this they, is they very consumer friendly, right? It I is. Mean, this is this is kind of a, a bridge between pro and consumer. If you look at the brand of that camera on the front of it, it's a Hasselblad, which is known for being a really high end wow. photography, you know, portrait type camera. And so this one, for the size of the drone, it's got about as big a image sensor as you can get. It's a one inch image sensor. So the bigger the sensor, the more light that comes in, the higher quality your video and, and photography is. And this is kind of my go-to machine. Unless I specifically need a bigger aircraft, mm-hmm. this thing I use all the time. What's something like that run? So with the way that mine is set up, I've got a bunch of extra batteries. I've got five batteries for it. I've got the upgraded controller, which has the... So, so on some of these drones, you just use your phone as the monitor. Right. Whereas this one's got an Android operating system on it. Okay. And it's all built in. Uh, so this system with everything is about 2500 bucks. Okay. And you can you can get a real bare bones version, the same aircraft with like one battery and the cheaper remote for about fifteen hundred dollars. So, as compared to twenty five thousand, yeah, twelve years ago for gas and, powered, and, that's and fast. They, how quick that's the innovation. I mean, yeah. that's that makes me think what's coming next. I know, you know, because I mean, you talk well, about they're trying to shrink it down yeah. to as small as you can yeah. and really quick. So, a lot of times, I think military. Um, they are ahead of the curve, right? And there's yeah. things going on that we don't know about. They have do you, way bigger budgets than we do. So do you think that they're way deeper into this stuff with drones um, and like nanotechnology and like, I mean. I, I, I've seen some of the aircraft out there that are really small, like as big as your thumb. Uh, the, the, I, I've seen those for years and I've heard drone that they're that's out as there. Big as it's, think of a traditional helicopter with the big main rotor and the little tail rotor, that style of helicopter. And they just, and it goes and does, you know, Intelligence, really? I have, I've never heard surveillance, of surveillance reconnaissance. Yeah, no kidding. Huh? Yeah, and, and I, th- I think it's called the Wasp, if I remember right. But it's been out there for a while. Um, they're pretty cool, cool technology. Maybe I'll see if I can pop this up on the screen here. But um, and that's the stuff that we know about. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, think <laughs> about what we don't know about. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I didn't have the name right. Anyway, it's it's a cool little machine, and you know, you get into the Skunk Works type stuff and. But, but you know what the thing about the military is it's 
really similar capabilities to what we can do, but the price tag is about 10 times as much. And they're designed to be thrown around and carried in cases and dusty environments and, and things like that. And so they kind of have a little different mission than what we're doing. We don't need as much of that durability, you know, the, the durability that stuff. I say that, but this, this aircraft, the beast here that we've got here, this is the M200. This is what they call an enterprise-level drone. Okay. So this is like built for business. This is kind of what you would call like consumer, prosumer. Okay. Because you, there's a lot of ways to make money with even something like this that somebody would consider a toy. But this one, the airframe on this one is IP44 rated. So you can fly it in visible moisture, okay. like light rain, that kind of thing. The camera gimbal is IP45 rated. So you can fly this camera gimbal in like rain, like flat out rain. So it's like some of the security cameras so, we do that are IP66. Yeah, yeah. This it. it's not like submersible or anything like right. that. And it's designed for <clears throat> for like precipitation coming down, you know. What about this one? Is this that, no that that one I didn't even think about that. Get, so if it's rain it or there's any kind of a danger of a storm, you don't yeah. want to be flying it. No. No. Not not this one anyway. Because yeah. if it gets wet, it'll be destroyed. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about these, what's really cool about the design and why these things are so popular, there's like 29 computing cores in this thing. And it's got, let's see, two, four, six, eight, nine cameras on it. No kidding. And eight of the nine cameras are for obstacle avoidance. So we've got the really nice camera that's gimbaled. Okay. That, that gives you your pretty pictures and your video. Yep. But we've got two forward-facing cameras, and there's two of them so they can see stereoscopically like your eyes in 3D. So it'll tell you a distance from an object, and it can help you actually navigate around it too. It's got the same thing underneath. It's got cameras on each side, and it's got the two cameras in the back so it can see behind itself too. So it can see 360 degrees around it. It wow. takes a lot of computing power yeah. to do that, which equals heat in, in any kind of electronic device sure so the whole bottom of this thing is an aluminum heat sink okay and it actually pulls air in from the front of the aircraft it's got a cooling fan and then when you're flying in forward flight it's just ram air basically okay but it pulls air through the whole airframe to cool all those computing cores which makes it not good for visible moisture fog ah, you know rain that kind of I thing. totally understand now that and, was a really nice way to explain <laughs> that no seriously that makes total sense well, and, and it kind of goes to show you how how intelligent and powerful these things are as far as capabilities and you know i i've been flying for so long that i the selling point for me is not all of the obstacle avoidance it's always camera specs and and that kind of thing flight time those kind of capabilities but you know for this would be a great beginner drone because of of how how good of obstacle avoidance it has it's not perfect that's what i have to remind people it's not perfect but yeah you know, it'll keep you from hitting a building or something. But even even some of the lines with that brand I've seen that are six seven hundred dollars now. I mean, they're still pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, they'll have. I, like, just I think it was a, like a mile and a half, and then it was thirty five yeah. minutes flight yeah. time. I, I mean, I brought that one, and it's sitting in my pickup right now. I've got a. This is so. This is the Mavic Two Pro. Right. They just came out with one a couple months ago called the Mavic Air Two, which is that shape style, but it's just a little bit smaller. But it's got some really interesting technology in the camera. It's it's got a forty eight megapixel camera. Mm, that's a good camera. But it's not a typical. And this is going to get like super technical, so I got to not not go too deep into it. But the way a camera sensor works is you have stacks of pixels. You got red, green, and blue. Mm -hmm. And to mimic how our eye 
sees things, it's got twice as many green pixels as it does red and blue pixels. So one square is two green pixels, a red, and a blue pixel. Okay. This one has four times as many pixels. It's got double, so it's got double the amount of green pixels. It's got double the amount of, uh, so not four times, double. So it's called a quad Bayer filter. So it has so four green. Four green, two, two reds, two and blue. two blues. So what that allows you to do is take, like if I want to get a picture of something, I have to pick. Do I want to expose the bright part of the image or do I want to expose the dim part of the image? And that's like the photographer's like enemy. Like right. what lighting. do I want to be? Yeah, it's, it's all about lighting. So what that allows you to do in that sensor is half of your red pixels can expose the bright image. Half your red pixels can expose the dim part of the image. So you get this. It's called oh. high dynamic range. Okay. <clears throat> so you get this in-camera snapshot of a really well exposed image all the all the dark parts are brightened up all the bright parts are dimmed down a little bit and it's this really neat ability that it's like 700 bucks for that thing that's amazing (laughs) and then what what's the camera on this one so this camera is a 20 megapixel camera it's a Hasselblad core the sensor Um, it's got some some neat tricks that are just like a photographer camera Mm -hmm. so you can control the opening the aperture okay um, so you get a little bit more freedom to adjust things than, than one of like that smaller one, but you know where that technology came from that camera on the small one, iPhone, cell phones, yeah. cell phones. Yeah. I think that's the same. It might be the same as they use in one of the Android phones, uh. but those companies spend all the money and, and I believe said, it's hey, a, I we'll believe it's a Sony and... sensor. So Sony manufactures these for these cell phone companies, but they're not going to just sell them to them. They'll sell them to anybody who wants to buy them. Yeah, sure. So now they can put this amazing 48-megapixel camera on a, a drone, and it's just it's amazing. The quality of this stuff is just awesome. So what's a day-to-day use for this? I mean, is this something that somebody – well, and that's another good thing I want to talk yeah. about. A lot of people, I think, have a misconception that they can just go out and fly these. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that before. That's not the case. Yeah. I mean, you really need – this is a serious – piece of hardware it and there is. are rules and it you is. need to be and, licensed. And there's and been a little bit of back and forth on the actual rules on these aircraft because there's a different set of guidelines whether you're flying them for hobby use or for professional use. So right when this new drone rule came down from the FAA, the rule was basically if you're a hobby-grade person, you have to register your aircraft. And it's, it's registered... The, the, so you'll see on this side of this one, this is my registration for my aircraft. Right. Which is the same thing as you'd have to have on a plane, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Just different just different number combinations. So on an airplane, the number always starts with an N if you're in the United States. Okay. So the drone, it always starts with an F-A. Gotcha. So basically the rule was you have to go register yourself online and you as an individual get a registration number. Even so if it's a hobby, if I just go buy one at like Best yeah, Buy. If it's or... above half a pound, you have to register it. So your all of your hobby aircraft would have the same number on it. Oh, for, oh, for the individual? Yeah, so then? it's registered okay. to you. It's not aircraft specific. It's all of your toys mm-hmm. have to have this same registration number on it. And then somebody fought it, got it overturned oh. as unconstitutional, or I'm not exactly sure how it, how it worked. Right. But it's since been reenacted somehow, and I, I'm not 
Because I don't. To where you don't have to register it now? Or? No, to where you still have to. You're supposed to register it. So you go to this. It's called the FAA Drone Zone. And you click. There's a big box. I'm hobbyist. I'm professional, basically. Right. And then you, you go and you register, and it's like five bucks or something like that. So what part did they overrule? They overruled the, the physical registration on the aircraft part. Oh, okay. But, but it's since been <clears throat> reinstated. That way, if you're flying and you crash this thing. Okay, so funny story. Last night at the Chicago Cubs game, one of these landed in the field. Oh. Uh, in the field of play. The field of play? Yeah. Last night. Wow. That guy's going to get nailed, by the way. So is that a felony then? I, uh, uh, I, I, it could be, I think. It depends on. So, so one of the criteria is a large gathering of people. And I forget what the specific number is. I don't know if it's 10,000 or 15,000 or Which whatever. Which at that, there probably wouldn't have been now. No, not right now. Yeah. But they, to my knowledge, are still issuing flight restrictions over those stadiums, sure. even though there's not large gatherings of people. So he might get out of it because there wasn't physically a bunch of people. They still might get him on the flight restriction <laughs> and he part. he crashed it, huh? No, he just landed it. Oh, he just landed it? So if he was following the rules, he would have had it registered. and. It, it, it is. It is like the new streaky. Yeah. yeah, well put, Mary Kate. <laughs> so, so if he did everything like he was supposed to, which knowing, you know, what I know about it, just the fact that some idiot was landing this thing in a Cubs game, he probably didn't go through the proper channels. Right. But you would pick that thing up, type in that number, and okay. you go to that guy's front door and say, "Come with me." What we are you doing? Talk. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's how the hobby side of it works. Okay. All of my aircraft are registered. For commercial use, so each aircraft has its own specific uh, tail number, in number, FA number, I guess is what you so call it. So that one has an in number. Then it's got an FA number. Yeah, it has to be displayed somewhere on the aircraft. It's on the other leg on this one, and then this one I've got it on both sides of the uh, of the what we call fuselage, the body of it. Right. And uh, so I'm legal to go out and make money with these. Okay. So if you're because I'm already a pilot, I'm already a certificated pilot. The process to become a a commercial drone pilot is really easy. You go online, you click through some slides, you take a quiz, and then you can file the paperwork well digitally to mm-hmm. to get. It's called Part One Hundred Seven Remote Pilot. And the interesting thing about it, so it's more they're doing this to keep track of who has drones. It's yeah. not like to yeah. make sure you're going through a course that you're able to fly appropriately. Right. It, it is. It's it's more about yeah. I mean. These things are intelligent. They've got their own internal GPS that will physically not let you fly. Like, I can't fly this. There's nothing I can do to make this fly over the prison really? in Burlington. No kidding. On huh? the map, it's a big red box. Is, and so I is that, is that in the hardware in then? Or, I it's mean, it's the a so- database that you download. Yeah, it's a database. So you so you power could jailbreak plants. it? Do, I mean, you could think of like, there's there is one way to had jailbreak it. Nefarious reason, right? Yes, I mean, it's possible, and it's really dumb. It's literally putting foil over the GPS because it's really? all GPS based. Oh man! So okay, I have a question. Hopefully, we didn't give any secrets away. I there. know. I sh- maybe I shouldn't have said that. It's not that much of a secret, I guess. So, what's the like? What's the rules about flying over private property? Like, I think there was some. Decisions. That's a great question, and it it, it falls under so so federally. None, None of us own the airspace above our houses. Really? I can wow. fly a drone through it. What qualifies as airspace, though? Like it's navigable airspace. Anything, if, I guess if you really want to get specific about it, it's like above trees. Okay. 
but don't, don't don't hold me to that because then you get into the peeping tom rules and like well, if, that's, if that's I wanted to spy point, on right? you like with somebody a, drone, a hot tub or whatever, yeah, I mean, yeah. So so that's why local laws will trump federal laws in that situation. So if Burlington has some kind of a peeping tom law about filming somebody or whatever, you can get in trouble for that. Okay. But federally, it's just airspace, and nobody owns the airspace above their properties. Hmm. So when people say, you can't fly over my house, yeah, you can. I hate to, I mean. Unless that, that, there's a local law that says. Unless there's a local law that supersedes it. Do we have a local law? Not to my knowledge. Interesting. No, I'm just, know. you know, we're getting people so fired up. I, that's why, like, when people, <laughs> like, city council I, I've kind of got people fired up a little bit because I, it's not things they want to hear when they ask me some of these No, but these questions. things will have to be addressed. And I, I want to cover yeah. it, man. Transparency yeah. is, and, you know. and And that's something that could be, and, and that, see, that's where it gets difficult. And that's why there's not a ton of laws out there for that. Because it's so new. I could tape a GoPro to a broomstick and hold it over your fence and look at you in the, in the, Hot tub. That's true. Yeah. And it's no different than a drone flying at 10 feet. Yeah. Or fly a blimp or yeah. Yeah, a remote yeah. control Or blimp I'm a pilot. Or, I could I could have yeah. a zoom camera on my main camera airplane technology and is nobody getting Nobody cares good. about that. Yeah. You can come in tomorrow. So that's where it gets real. It's true. It, it gets real fuzzy there. And that's why I think you don't see a ton of those rules out there. And there aren't, a, there's not a ton of people that are just being malicious about it either. Right. Like, I've had people, I've done a lot of commercial work with the aircraft. I've had people walk up to me and be like, you can't be here. This is, this is illegal. And I have to say, I'm sorry, this is legal. I, and, and, and I want to be like, listen, I don't care about you. I'm here to do a job. I don't care about your backyard, which makes them, I mean. I mean yeah, you're just being honest. You're going, bit. look, yeah. I'm here to work. Yeah, and, 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 right. and depending on the project I'm doing, I'll just say, if you wait a second, I'll be happy to show you what's on my memory card and that none of your possession, the property, whatever. You've actually had that happen, huh? Yeah, I haven't got to the point where I'm like, let me show you what's on the memory card so I can prove it. Most right. people, and th- sometimes, I, I haven't personally had the, the police, I have had the police called, actually. <laughs> but not like a <laughs> not like a situation where, where like they had to come sort out a, a disagreement between people. You made people. me laugh so hard I pulled my, <laughs> right. my microphone out. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I've, had, I've had colleagues that have had the police called, and here's what happens. The the sheriff shows up and kind of is like, hey, what are you doing? I'm, I'm working on this project, doing this. And, and the, the sheriff turns to the angry person and says, he can do what kind of whatever he wants. Like, yeah. He, he's not breaking the law. You need to kind of chill out. Right. Essentially, for lack of a better term. Well, especially if you can prove it's for work. Yeah. You know, it's for your occupation. Yeah. You're doing it. You have a license to do that. So, yeah. And and most of, the, most of the people out there flying drones are not – spying on people but but they're they're kind of creepy you know like if you're you're sitting out on your back porch and there's just drone just hovering right up in front of you you're like what's he want what's he doing and and i've had people call me and say there's a drone over my house is it you i don't don't care Uh, no that's not what i'm living so that's why they they kind of they're kind of i don't want to say menacing looking but they're yeah they're a little creepy well you know, so that helps explain, you know, in a residential area like this, um, I know I do a lot of 14ers and you're seeing more and more people fly those and that's off limits in national yeah. forest, yeah, national forest, but people illegal. are doing that. And, yeah. and that's what you start to worry about that because part of the reason you go is to escape that, right? Yeah. I go up yeah. to you my phone's gone, everybody. I'm away from it. 
And then you hear, and it's flying around yeah. and taking all pictures. The, all the influencers just, getting there. Right. Like influencers selfies. getting in. And I don't want to have like 50 of those up there. Yeah. And so hopefully yeah. it doesn't get to that point. Well, and, and, and if, if people would just abide by that stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's just like anything with, I don't want to get into the gun debate, but it's always a tiny few that shape the laws for everybody. And it's, right. it's, it's, it's a tiny fraction of the population that are being jerks you know and, and operating that yeah, are like yeah operating their aircraft in a way that they shouldn't and that screws up the the program for everybody and that's where we're getting there's a there's a remote id legislation that's that's in process right now conveniently right around all the weird drone sightings in uh in oh, we're gonna get to that so, <laughs> but but which would basically allow you to walk around with a phone and a and some kind of an app and you see a drone and you're like that's daniel's drone he lives at blah 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 Here's his phone number. He likes long walks. But how on the would beach. I know that's yours? Because it, it because tells me it what's in the airspace, it you, and it's by yeah, tells you. Who I don't it know is. about that. Yeah, which is horrible, especially like the part of the use of drones in the in in business is competitive advantage. Getting mm-hmm. getting somewhere, getting imagery collected, you know, and not letting your competitors know that you're there, and uh, and so that's where it gets unpopular, and, and especially for for people that want to go fly a little. 10 inch wingspan foam airplane in a park, you know, it gets, it gets cost prohibitive because now you have to carry equipment on it that will transmit that out. Cause it'd have to be everybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So that's why this it's, it's really muddy. The whole that's, thing that's up right now. And yeah, it, there, there was a, an open comment period that I believe ended a few months ago and I haven't heard any updates. It hasn't uh, obviously been enacted into law yet. No, but, I hope you know yeah. it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting time because people are realizing the capability of these things and they are they're amazing I, you yeah. know they, they advertise a five mile range on this little one that one has five huh yeah and how but long the will FAA this one says keep it within line of sight and something that small maybe half a mile and it gets difficult to tell what direction it's Who's, facing I can't imagine thing. anyone I mean if it's going the capability is five miles you're gonna fly it five miles I know you know I mean let's be yeah. honest yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then how so, long will that one stay up without? So they advertise, uh, I believe, 30 minutes at sea level in the most perfect conditions on Earth. Uh, what we get up here at a higher elevation is probably 25, 26 minutes or Still so. Still a long, yeah. it's a lot of Compared flight. to even five years ago when you were lucky to get eight minutes out of one of these things. Wow. This one's got uh, larger batteries, so this one carries two batteries, and it can fly for up to 40 minutes. At sea How level, far does that one conditions. go? Uh, that one, I believe, is like two miles, three miles. And who makes like that. that one? Same manufacturer, DJI. Okay. So, DJI, um, what's <clears throat> what's the purpose of that one versus this one? I mean, it's much bigger. Is it the camera yeah, power? Yeah, so it's, it's multiple payloads. Okay. So you can, you can remove this camera gimbal. You can remove this camera gimbal. <laughs> I was just and, talking about how my pet, peeve was, my pet peeve was people crawling away from the microphone. So so you can put different camera sensors on there. Oh, so man, this one that has, is just badass. It has thermal and it has a regular color image. You can switch between the two while you're in flight. There's also How do you switch between the two when you're in flight? You just click between the menus. And there's actually a really cool setting. So thermal is is really cool, but it's really terrible resolution. So this is, I believe, like a 12-megapixel camera which is 4,000 by 3,000 pixels. Okay. The thermal, is. this is about the, the highest quality you can get as a consumer, non-military, and it's 640 
uh, by 512 pixels. So it's way, it's like three megapixels. Right. So it's, it's a really coarse image, but it's thermal. I mean, it's. But what would a consumer use this for? Nothing. And then what's the you price point on this? As a, I mean, as a consumer, you wouldn't. Because this thing's got to be, this one thing have to be like 8,000 bucks. I'm just guessing. So I mean, with the, the drone by itself is about four. Um, the the uh, controller has an, 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 an updated, so normally on these you would use like an iPad or something as your monitor, but this is a integrated, it's called Crystal Sky. It's, it's ultra bright, so you can see it really easy in the sun. It's got removable batteries. This also has an Android-based system, kind of huh. like that one. Uh, but this monitor is like $1,000 by itself, which is required to operate this specific payload because of the app that you need to run it. Gotcha. But everything together with all the batteries and the charge and everything, this one's about 18000 Holy smokes, okay. This is twelve grand by itself. So you're talking 30 right here. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, you're, that's not... That's not <laughs> and that's the, that's thing, not that's the guy on your like, neighborhood that's Exactly, I mean, exactly. And... and Unless you're like just independently wealthy, you're not going to just buy one of these to play with. I no, mean, this this is a business tool. This one's this one's more of the play with kind of a drone, and even bordering that. I mean, because that yeah. one's twenty five hundred. Yeah, that's and a not, pretty big commitment. To, exactly, you, you got to really be interested in the hobby to spend right. that kind of money on something. So it's that's kind of why they're like, oh my gosh, you can get thermal and look in the back of my, you know, not really. Not yet. Not yet. But I mean, not right? Because you look yet. at the innovation and the path that we're down in 10 years, it could be a lot easier. It could. Yeah. But, and know. everything's getting cheaper. Right. The, the thermal core, this is a core that's built by FLIR, which everybody thinks FLIR is synonymous with thermal, but it's there's different manufacturers. But, but this one is a FLIR brand core. Um, and this one is, they call it a radiometric. So you use that for more scientific type data. So every pixel on the thermal image has a temperature associated with it. Gotcha. That's what we call radiometric. So so you can do, like what I do, I, I have a, a contract down in Texas where we fly a pipeline. And what we're looking for is leaks. This pipeline has really warm liquid flowing through it, 125 degrees. So we, we look at the ground and we see warm and cold spots on the ground, but the image is calibrated so we can do an, an automated process to say, okay, everything that's above... And we'll, we'll pick a number. We'll say, okay, we know the ground temperature is 68 degrees. So anything above 72 degrees, we're going to flag. Anything below 60 degrees, we're going to flag also. Wow. And the reason I say that is because if you have a bad leak, it's, the, the liquid's coming out really quick, the ground is going to be warmer. But if it's a slow leak, it'll cool down by the time it gets to the surface. Mm. So it'll be a an area of, of colder temperatures. So that's what you specifically are using that one yeah. for. Yeah, that's the main the main goal for that. But I have made this available to law enforcement around here. If anybody, you know, if they have a situation where they need it. I had a search and rescue mission about a week ago for a cow that got out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I heard SAR and I was like, really? Up in the mountains? Like somebody on the crest It was stones, a big or? deal. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a big deal. It was a cow that was... No, uh, it, it's, it's small town meandering. excitement. He, he got out at a stop sign in town. This is a bull, by the way. Which, which town? Here? Burlington. Yeah. Really? So he got out. This didn't make headline news? I don't... I know, right? Give it a, give it a, give it a news cycle in the paper. You might see it. Okay. But, so we'll he, tell Rick. He jumps out of the car, or the, the trailer, runs through town, runs across the interstate into a cornfield on the other side of the, of the interstate. Yeah, I know. So, so there was they, a cow so really the, across I-70. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the that's sheriff's department called me and said, hey, we got this cow in this field that's right next to the interstate. We need to see if we can find him. 
So I went out there and we're looking for them. And, you know, even if you don't find what you're looking for, you do find where it is not. Right. Does that make sense? Sort of. <laughs> so it's not like a total loss. No, so, you're like, we know where it isn't. So it, I'm out there at, at 8 o'clock at night. I'm just Oh, I'm this just was a looking, night yeah, search. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for this thing. And I can't find it. I found so you're a coyote. Using what, the thermal, I, you're looking for body yeah, temperature yeah, of it. You're yeah. not using lights or yeah, anything. And what's cool and is you can customize the color palette of your thermal. Okay. So what we all see when we look at like cool police video, helicopter videos and stuff is white hot. So ah. anything hot in the image is white. Anything cold is black. Gotcha. So it's like a black and white image, but white is hot. Okay. So you can do that, but you can set a temperature threshold somewhere around body heat where that turns red. And that's specifically geared for search and rescue, for looking for people. Okay. And so I, I, I adjusted that and set that for cow temperature. Yeah, which, which is, is what? I don't even, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Body heat. <laughs> so Okay. So I found a deer, pretty nice deer. I found a couple coyotes. Wow. And as soon as I landed, somebody called me and they said, hey, we found that cow like eight miles from where you're at right now. <laughs> Another success. So, so that's the thing. And I told everybody that I was the one that found it. But... The, like that drone worked well. Even if you don't find what you're looking for, you are finding where that is not. Right. So it's not a. It you know, doesn't always. Yeah, and you found a lot of other stuff. <laughs> right. But I mean, all joking aside, I mean that is a pretty big deal. Like yeah. you think if somebody's yeah. lost, if they're you know, and I start thinking and, about and in the to, mountains, I yeah. wonder. I don't know if SARS using that up there, but maybe is altitude an issue? Uh, it is kind of. So you can actually get high altitude propellers specifically for it. So. The issue with, with airplanes when they fly in the mountains is two things. One of them is the, it's not less oxygen, it's the molecules are farther apart. So when a wing is flying through the air, there's less molecules hitting the wing when it's at a higher altitude. Okay. So in, a, in the terms of a propeller, it's getting less of a bite of the air. So to so get that same to, amount to of thrust, it has okay. to f- spin faster. Uh. So in an airplane with a combustion engine, unless it's turbocharged, you lose performance for that same reason. It's getting less air per, you know, cycle of the engine than if it is a lower altitude. Right. But in drones, all you have to do is spin it faster. Problem is, the faster you spin these blades, the faster your battery dies. That's what I was going to say. You so, don't have as long. Yeah, so you can buy high-altitude propellers that have a greater bite of the air, basically, a greater pitch. Hmm. So it, it compensates for that. So you can use these in high altitudes. Do you I, know, are they using these up, like at uh, yeah. Custer County? I, I don't know specifically, but I know there's a lot of sheriff's departments that have them. Uh, that, that makes that sense. That have the, the thermal versions. It is an incredible tool. Yeah. Uh, with thermal, you can find someone a mile or two away. In, wow. in a cold situation. Um, by the way, here's a little, if you ever find yourself out in the wilderness and you're lost and you hear a drone buzzing around looking for you, this is going to sound weird. Open up your coat. Not like naked. No, but, but it's for the heat, for body the heat. heat. Yeah. Mm. Because in, a, in the wilderness, the only things that are going to, if you are all bundled up trying to stay warm, maybe your hands are a little warmer and around your eyes and nose and mouth and maybe your ears are a little bit warmer depending on if you have a hat on or not mm-hmm. but but it's just like the people putting SOS on a beach to try to have an airplane find them make yourself warmer no and you know what that that's so, good advice that somebody might see yeah, this and, most and now in the world that we're in small search and rescue operations can afford yeah a, for a sure thermal drone so if you're ever lost and you hear a drone flying around open up open your coat, it up get Let a it big know. warm 
Well, and I think most target. people, hopefully, if they're backpacking, climbing 14ers, they're taking like an in-reach. Right, or, or a search you know, or spot yeah. or... Yeah. yeah. So, But that's great, good advice because somebody yeah. might hear that. And, but, you know. you know, even if you have one of those and you're in a really remote place, the first thing they might use to locate you is a drone if they can't get up there sure. right away. Well, no, that's why I thought of it. So they have an enterprise version of this drone. Because you always hear about it at night, right? And that's yeah, when it's people, always at night. It's at yep. night, and if the weather's coming in, it's getting cold, then you have hypothermia and those things. So yeah. if at night you could see those patterns. And, 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 still, and if nothing else, you can cover way more ground in a given amount of time and, and with a to your drone. point where they're not yeah right? you exactly. start on a map exactly. saying they're not here 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 what's in yeah that's pretty cool yeah. so so everybody kind of has the creepy aspect of drones but right. there are some oh it's just like any positives. tool you know yeah. there's good or bad however yeah. you're going to use it yep. so what about fires are they using this at all and yep. i don't know i mean because yep. obviously we see the skies right now and everything I mean, yeah. giant fires in yeah. california so here. one of the big things they can do for more than anything is situational awareness so you can see exactly where the fire line is if everything's engulfed in smoke. So this drone doesn't care about smoke at all. You couldn't fly an airplane through a really thick plume of smoke because it's using the air for combustion. And if there's smoke, there's not necessarily as much oxygen, and it can cause the engine to quit, oh. to, to not work. So even when they're dropping uh, chemicals or whatever, they have to be wary of that. Yeah, and a lot of times you'll see them upwind of the smoke or above the smoke. You know, if it's windy, which a lot of times that's what really drives a fire, mm -hmm. that smoke is low for a while until it gets away from the flames, and then it kind of builds up. So when they're doing a line with, that, with the fire retardant and that kind of thing, a lot of times they're just above the smoke or they're flying through smoke that's not super thick. So with this, you can see through the smoke with a thermal camera and find out exactly where the fire's at. Wow, that and is cool. Where, you, where it might be, you know, you might not be able to see it. Or, or think of a guy, a, a, a crew that's down there, and you're in the trees, you can't see anything because the trees are 100 feet above you, yeah. you know? So it's... For situational awareness, it's an amazing tool. Well, I know they're telling hobbyists not to fly them near fires because yeah. everyone's trying to get pictures and see it and get on, you know. It's Welcome just, to the world exactly. of, don't be I got to get my picture on Facebook yeah. first. And, and it causes, you know, when they, when they spot a drone or, or find out that one's in the area, everybody has to land, the manned mm. airplanes, and now they can't fight the fire. Or Even the commercial people. ones and the rescues, oh, yeah. they make everything land? Yeah, because... You hit one. If you hit a drone this size oh, with the yeah, rotor blades no, of a gotcha. helicopter, you can damage the blades so much that they fail in flight, and then you're toast. So, it's uh, it's and 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 how that does not come across someone's mind that they don't you see care. all these aircraft flying around. Maybe I shouldn't fly right here. Mm -hmm. I, it's back to your point that it's just a small fraction, the eighty twenty rule, or even yeah. ninety ten. Yeah. That just ruin it. So, so you said when you first came in here, we're saying that you know the last month's been crazy because you've yeah. been traveling and yeah. doing. Is that all for kind of some of the drone stuff yeah. that you've been doing then? Yeah. Like yeah. So, what? So walk me through some of that. I mean, so just, I try to a lot of the side stuff I do. I try to push to the weekends, obviously, yeah. or or take vacation to do it. So one of my one of my projects that I, I love doing is is going down to Texas and doing that pipeline project. So it's a inspection project for a company that owns the underground pipeline. And it's mandated by the governing agency in that area that they okay. have to do a quarterly inspection. And the most efficient way to do that is with a drone and a thermal camera pointing down at the ground. Wow. You can cover more ground that way. You can see issues that when you're standing in the middle of it, you might not be able to see. So uh, we've been doing that for about a year and a half now. 
and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Very cool. So, so that's one of the main uses I, I do with this one specifically. But I do a lot of a lot of real estate photography. Right. I count cows. Yeah, I knew that. Which people don't realize is an amazing tool for you know cattlemen, cattle cattle people. <laughs> PC, you gotta stay PC. Um, but yeah, so so I'll go to a feedlot, point the camera down. You try to frame it up so each pin fills your your field of view. Right. Take a picture, move on to the next pin, do that, and then you take all that imagery back to your computer. And there's a, a software that I use that, for competitive reasons, I'm not going to. Fair enough. Because it's cool and kind of easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you have to pay for it. So. Uh, so you take it in there, and it automatically, through artificial intelligence, yeah, counts the cows. And all you have to do is go into that image and just verify that it's not counting a shadow also or, or something like that. Gotcha. It's not perfect, but it, it really speeds up the whole process. So and it's basically you're doing inventory. Yeah, and you're a third-party unbiased. You're just given you're a count. You're a data collector. How long does that take? Uh, it's, it's pretty labor I mean, I know sizes are different for feedlots, but like yeah, a typical feedlot or typical feedlot? So for a typical feedlot, that's probably five to 10,000 cows, right. head, head of cow, head of cows, yep. heads, heads of cows, heads of cows, five to 10,000 cows. It's, it's basically what are they, about four, four hours or so roughly going through each pin. That's because it? usually they try to keep them less than a couple hundred per pin, depending on the size of the pin because they need right. space and that kind of thing. So you don't want them, you don't want them crowded, but that's, that's about a 80 to hundred pin feedlot. Roughly, something like that. When you were saying labor intensive, I was thinking like a week or something. Four, no, so four hours. Yeah, yeah. It's all and and to fly that it takes about <clears throat> twelve minutes. I mean the 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 data acquisition is always the easiest part with drones. So you fly it, <laughs> then you got to go back compile it. And, yeah. Okay. So you, you and and what's the software that uses the thing that's kind of neat about it is it it saves a picture with the pin name on it and the count so that that person can go in and verify what you have counted. Right. So you can zoom into every dot on every cow. And then it also saves it in a uh, Excel spreadsheet format. So you can go in there and you can break it down per, per feed lot. And then you can compile all the different feed lots together. And, and it's a pretty, pretty. And is that tool. all thermal? Is that how it's nope. doing? Or no, okay. okay. That's with this drone right there. Okay. The toy, wow. the toy drone. It's all in how you use it. Right. And, and how these things can do, I was telling you that I can do 3D modeling. I can produce digital elevation models. Yeah. I can do an ortho mosaic, which is literally a, and this is a $2 word, but it's planimetrically correct image. Mm -hmm. So when you take an image of something, the outsides of the images of the image is going to be distorted a little bit. And you can do that by like, you can really see it with a drone. It's hard to do with a camera on the ground, but with a drone, if you fly high enough and you take a picture and there's like a dirt road on the side, straight uh -huh. down, it always looks a little curved. And that's a natural phenomenon that happens in every camera lens that there is. And you can get different camera lenses that kind of mask it a little bit, and it's not as bad. Right. But you can't take a bunch of those pictures and put them together to make a map because they're uh. all distorted. So the software corrects all those images. Oh, gotcha. And it makes it so you can literally measure distances. You can measure volumes. You can do area measurements with it. Damn. Uh, and and it's, it's really, it's pretty geeky. It is, but that's awesome. <laughs> well, and then you think about how long. So if they weren't going to do this, how was it before? You'd have you, to go and you physically go to physically, each pin and count them 
and on, hope on that horseback you're, and hope you're or, right. And they're moving all the time. That's what I was going to say. You almost and it's really difficult to to see it. So, but, but when you do it this way, you have a snapshot of every pin. Yeah, and and it's it's date and time stamped because it's got GPS, and it's it's also location stamped. So you go out at a certain time of the year when they need to, whatever, correct their books or 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 do their inventory. Yeah, just yeah. for whatever reason, and and now you have a date and a timestamp where they can correct their numbers before and after that time. And it's it's That's third awesome. party. It's unbiased. And Those guys have to be loving. They that. do. The the I customers mean, really enjoy it, and it's it's really useful, and it saves them time. And I mean, you go to a, a feed lot. There's ten thousand cows. That take forever to go through every pin and count them. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be a, it'd be a long day. Well, and, and sure. I think that banks, auditors, everyone's got to love that. Yeah, exactly. And it's not it's not the bank doing it. It's not the borrower doing it. It's, it's independent. It's an independent evaluation. Yeah, it's it's unbiased and and so it's it's. Uh, if I had more time, I could do that a lot more than I do now. But it's. Again, it's kind of a side thing, and yeah, well, so. and that's a good transition. Why don't you fill us in on your role here in Burlington? Yeah, too? so so I, I am the airport operator in Burlington, which isn't that far detached from drones because <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, no. Um, but I've been I've been here for uh, at the airport for a little less than eight years now, and uh, it is the most satisfying job I've ever had in my life. That's awesome. I love it. I love that place. I love taking care of it. Uh, you meet some of the most amazing people that fly in there. And pilots are just, and I may be a little biased, but pilots are just cool people. So It does seem that way. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of them that I know, too, that have transitioned from other stuff into pilots, or it's a second type of yeah. thing, and they are. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's, it's, it's not, a passion, it seems that's like. That's the thing. You're not doing it unless you love it. Right. It's, and, yep. and, and you're in your element when you're doing it and you're more relaxed and it's just you're doing what you love. And then you get to meet more people that are just like you. I mean, it's this, it's this whole other group of it's, – it's just a whole different community, and, and it's really cool. Yeah. And I've got, I've got a lot of re, what I call regulars that come through. I've got probably four or five sets of people from the Denver area that come out here once a month or so to go to eat at the dish room or, yeah, that's you know, awesome. and they, they come in, I get to see them all the time and, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And that's just kind of the fun side of the airport, but you know, more importantly, it's a business yep. and you know, we sell fuel, we sell hangar space and we're just a, a gas station in the, in the network of airports in the, in the country. Right. And what's kind of interesting about Burlington is, from Burlington to Denver, you can't buy jet fuel. If you if you carved out like a hundred mile swath and straight to Denver, we're the last fuel stop in, that sells jet fuel to Denver. So I get some some helicopter traffic that they don't have a very long range, and here to Denver is about as long as they want to go. Gotcha. And so we we get a lot of niche traffic that way. I've got a I've got an air ambulance provider that's based in Kansas. And they typically go to Hayes or um, Wichita when they have a flight. But uh, when they go to Denver, they have to stop in Burlington. So I'm on call 24-7, 365, all the time. They'll come in in the middle of the night. They'll call me. Their dispatch will call me. They'll say, hey, we got a helicopter 30 minutes out. And they have a patient on board. So it's a really demanding. It's a demanding. It's, it's, you don't have a lot of time. So they don't shut the engine down. So what they do is they land. They slow the rotors down. They leave everything running because you got a patient on board. I go up, fuel them really quickly. They take off, go on to Denver. 
and that happens. It's it's really hit or miss on on how often that happens. But I've had it two or three times in a week, and I've had it once in two months. You know, it just depends yeah. on their schedule and where they need to go and that kind of thing. So, when you're an airport operator, you are it's it's more of a caretaker. It, this size of airport, it's more of a caretaker role than it is a just a nine to five job. Huh. It's absolutely not a nine to five job. No, so you're on call seven days a week. When seven you're here, days a week, yeah, twenty four hours. Yep. So when you're gone, you just have some guys you trust. Yeah, that are I've out got there. I've got a, a part time guy that's that's really good, and we try to adjust our schedule so that neither one of us is gone at the same time. Gotcha. That way, if I'm gone, he can come out and cover, and uh, vice versa. So. And then I didn't realize there was no fuel between here and Denver. Yeah. Yeah, there's basically, and there's Is not this much the for airport airports. Then? I mean, yeah, so like, you've got Lyman. Okay. But Lyman only sells what we call aviation gasoline, which is, we call it Avgas, which is fuel for piston engine airplanes. So they don't have jet fuel. Mm. And we're the last stop that sells both both fuels between here and uh, Denver. So. Gotcha. And so you're, you're flying these, but you're doing a ton of your own flying too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a flight instructor and, and I'd I love didn't know to, that. Yeah. That's cool. I, I'd love to get an airplane here that we could do some flight instruction. There's a lot of guys that are interested in flying. I know a few that, yeah. that seriously, that want to get their license yep. and want to learn, but we don't have that out here right now. Or? No, no, I don't have an airplane here. And it's actually a weird time to buy an airplane because the, for some reason, and this is going back a few months when our economy has been just booming. Right. It's it's the the airplane values just follow the economy. When they're when it's good airplane values. And it, it what's really interesting is the biggest jump that I've noticed personally is the value on training airplanes. So when you have a really great economy, people have more expendable income. Sure. And they want to go learn how to fly. So there's more demand for that class of airplane, these little four seat airplanes right. that an airplane that was forty thousand dollars five years ago is worth 75,000 right now. Really? Yeah. And I think it's going to correct here pretty quick because of all that, what we've seen with the, is that because the demand it's supply and demand? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Flight schools are buying them, right? Because everyone's buying RVs and, and, uh, you know, campers and you want it bad enough. You're going to pay more Hmm. and the value goes up. It's, and and there's never a set price. It's just what people will pay. And, that's what's going That's what's, on right now. I think there's there's a correction due with everything on the airlines. You're seeing a lot of layoffs. So you're seeing a lot of pilots that were airline pilots that are kind of backing down into other areas of aviation, corporate aviation, and even flight instruction, that kind of thing. So you're seeing a lot of that trickle down. And then that, what also means is there's not as much demand for flight training because – why am I going to go learn how to fly to be a commercial pilot if there's no demand for a job right no, now? No, and I believe that with the commercial and airlines. Expensive. And it's Yeah. So – so I think we're going to see a correction here pretty quick on those airplanes. What about competition from the business standpoint of this? Are yep. you seeing a ton of competition now more than you it, used to? It, or? it all depends. That's a great question. It all depends on what you are offering. So there is this crazy devaluation in residential photography for, for real estate. For you to go up, take a couple pictures of a house and go down Everybody can do that. Right. And it's worth nothing. Like they might, uh, we'll give you 50 bucks if you go out and give me 20 pictures of a house and you have to drive an hour and it's like, it, just, it doesn't work. <laughs> so for me, what I've found, the value is a solution. The value is not, I need drone pictures. The value is I need a marketing video for a property I'm selling. Mm. It's, it's, you're not selling a drill, you're selling a hole. Right. If that makes, if no, that makes I see sense, it's kind saying, of a yeah. weird way to put it. But 
I'm not selling them drone photography. I'm selling them a marketing video, a fully edited marketing video with annotations and, and, and text and, and audio. And yeah. yeah. And the drone just happens to be the best tool for the job for a marketing video. If I was going to give them a bunch of raw video from a drone, they don't want that. They're, they're <laughs> not <you> video editors. <laughs> yeah. That editing video is a, an entire skill set that is yeah, it's, amazing. No, it if is. If you're good at it, oh, I mean, it's 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 a highly There's sought a after skill set. There's a lot of things set. you can do. Yeah. yeah. So the typical customer is not going to have that skill set. They don't want drone pictures. They want a marketing video. Yeah. They don't even have the software. The yeah. P- yeah. Just like the the people that that use our our imagery. Uh, for our pipeline inspection, mm-hmm. they don't want a bunch of pictures. They want a report that says that spot's hot. Go there and look. Yeah, and and that's where the value is. And and yep. all of this, you're you're not selling a drone. No, you're selling it's a service. The skill and the it's, service. Yeah. yeah, and and it just happens to be the best tool for the job. That's why drones are amazing because they have a lot of jobs where they're the best tool for. It's it's I mean, you could look at any industry. Uh, power line inspection work. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of places where oh, yeah. it makes more think about sense. That. To, so you, to, there are there are a lot of guys like you doing this. Then you yeah. think okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people spread out there. Yeah, huh. um, I've got a good buddy up in Nebraska who built this really cool network of a drone service for power line infrastructure inspection. And here's what's cool about it: this this guy is a, an amazing entrepreneur, and he's really so. What he does is he has a fleet of drones that he goes and flies every single power pole for their customer who needs an inspection done. And it has to be a certified journeyman who signs it off and actually says that insulator is good. You need to adjust that turnbuckle or whatever. It's it has to be signed off by a a journeyman. So he has this really cool web-based network. So let's say you're a journeyman Uh from Burlington and oh. you're on a job in Texas, you log into his portal. And you sign off. And you say, okay, here's an inspection. I'm just going to start clicking through it and, and signing these off. And you get paid per Because I'm credentialed and it's good. Yeah. And, yeah. Wow. So I'm just sitting here in my hotel room watching a baseball game. I'm going to make some money. So these these certified guys can log in yeah. and, and put their stamp and inspect. And then go land my like, drone in the Cubs. Yeah, exactly. But isn't that a cool business model? No, it's awesome. It's all high quality certified people, and that's a big deal now. It is 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 certified professionals, and that's what really differentiates the toys from the the real commercial use. Well, yeah, and that's why I want to talk to you because you're bringing this side of all of the the real purposes that this is being used for. It's not the typical hey, I'm just taking pictures or flying over. I mean, there are business case use for this that we don't even consider when you talk about power lines, finding search and rescue. I mean, it's a big industry. It's only going to grow. And especially as they get smaller, lighter, the technology gets better. Mm -hmm. And then you worry about some of that. About the the uh, the possible uses in new what we call green energy. You can use these aircraft to do wind turbine blade inspections for customers. Out here on the planes and yep. fly around and look at those? Yeah, take pictures, huh. take really high-resolution pictures where you can see Are you doing that for like Duke? I'm not or? personally. I'd okay. like to. Um, but another one for a thermal camera like this is we're starting to see a lot of um, uh, solar arrays. There's a lot on the front range. There's some in the mountains that are going up for, for solar power. Yep. You can... Look at the health of a solar panel really quickly by how it irradiates, reflects, absorbs heat. Mm. So you can look at a panel that's maybe uh, two feet by four feet, and you can actually see the health of the individual cells in the panel because a hotter cell is not as efficient as a cooler cell because there's more 
more resistance or, or the photocell is damaged so it, it actually gets warmer as it's producing electricity. On those panels. Yeah. And so you can say, hey, you got to replace this one. you got to replace exactly. this Exactly. Yeah. So you go in there and you can, just like what we're doing there, you provide a report that says of this entire, entire whatever you call it, solar farm, mm-hmm. whatever, here's, are the, here's the issues. These are the panels you need to go look at, and they're all labeled by a grid pattern kind of a thing. So that's a, that's a new up-and-coming and then I'm sure they're using it for mapping, right? Yep. That would make sense. What about how far? Are there anything they can see under the ground yet? I know that's a weird question. You start thinking Not about funny stuff, right? Like the, treasure some, searching. I mean, looking for there. There are gold. people that are putting sensors that are like, like you would say, like ground penetrating radar or something like right. that. A lot of those are required to be touching the ground to work. Um, there is technology that can see through vegetation. What to, about to like sonar bouncing off things? Yeah, yeah, sonar. Um, the problem with sonar is again, it's a surface based okay. thing. You know, they use it underwater, but it's it's traveling through water, water and hitting a solid object, solid ground. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but you can put lidar sensors on these aircraft that can see through vegetation for uh-huh. mapping purposes. If you're in a forested area or there's just a lot of vegetation around, it'll actually penetrate through vegetation. Right. Whereas a camera, when you create a map, it's not going to see through it. Mm. So, so, but that's again super expensive. Those are like thirty thousand dollars. There's some really cool, um, there's there, what they call them OGI, optical gas, something. It's, op, uh, it's, a, it's a sensor for gas, basically. Okay. So you can fly to a tank battery that's, you know, for, you know, just energy production, nothing weird, just like oil or whatever. Right. And you can actually physically see in the image off-gassing of certain gases. So if there's a leak, a gas leak, you can actually pinpoint it that way. Another another cool thing, with a thermal camera, you can actually see how much fluid is in a tank because the fluid is a different temperature. So like say it's it's 80 degrees outside, the fluid inside 60, you can see exactly where the fluid stops and where the open space begins. So you go to a refinery fire as a firefighter. Oh, so you can. You see don't want to get close. You can go right. and look and see. Depending on the insulation on the tanks, you can see how much of a of a fluid is in each tank. So Man, there's there's your, crazy. your first responder use yeah. for it, and you can get close enough that you know you won't get hurt if it blows up. It's just a drone, you know. With that said, there is a system that you can buy that's mounted on here, and it's got a tube that sticks out outside of the wash from the propeller blades. Mm-hmm. And it's literally for, what do you call it? It's it, it, it pulls air in and it analyzes the entire spectrum of what molecules and it'll break it down into what gases it's detecting. Oh, so that's like military use there yeah. too. Yeah, or biochemical or, or... Biochemical or, you know, a refinery fire. Sure. One of the things I have to be really careful about when I do the, the oil field inspection is hydrogen sulfide, which is a really poisonous gas. Part of my contract, I'm required to wear a sensor close to my head, like clipped onto my shirt. And if it detects a certain amount of hydrogen sulfide, it, it alerts you and you need to move out of that area because it's oh. really poisonous gas. So you could go fly near a fire and find out what gases are coming off of this fire. You could fly through a smoke plume and analyze. Have you done that? Have you no, been- no, that sensor, this is going to, this is crazy. That sensor is like $120,000. I was going to say hundred grand, right? <laughs> super, super cost prohibitive. 
Yeah. Unless but you're, the, unless you're, unless big, you need it. Yeah. You know, no, and somebody <laughs> so, does need it. Yeah, I mean, and, and otherwise it wouldn't be out there. That's the insurance of the saving lives. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is the beauty of it. Huh? That's yeah. amazing. So that technology is out there. Yeah. Well, and it's some, maybe we can pull some stuff up, but before I just wanted to ask you one question because sure. or go into it back a few months ago. And we laughed about this earlier. Uh, yes, we got to talk yes, about yes, it, right? Yes. There was, I mean, it made like national news that the drones were all over. And so one the thing, mystery I want, drones. the mystery drones, I want to talk about that, get your take, <laughs> what you think it was, tell your stories. Yep. One thing I wanted to say though, is I was down in Cheyenne Wells and uh, at a client's and I think it was, what's the big uh, agricultural company? Is it Car- Cargill. Uh, Cargill? Cargill. So they have, they have it down there. Right. And I saw a drone and it's the biggest one I've ever seen. And I mean, it was, I mean, ah. I think I know what that was. No, and I mean, that, was it during the day? Yes, it was yep. during the day. I know and exactly I was like, what that I was. looked up at that man, and I was like, "That is what was that?" Yeah. So that was a company that has a contract to map highways for the state of Colorado. Oh, and it's got lidar. So okay. they're using lidar. They flew all the way up three eighty five, and I'm not sure exactly where their contract started or ended, but they went by the airport because they called me to make sure that. You know, there wasn't any conflicts for traffic. It was big, like and I was like, and those guys got hounded by all kinds of people when they thought when it they're w- sitting by the road flying oh, this big black drone. It was big, those man. poor guys. Yeah, and it, it's a monster. It, it's got like a twenty-pound payload capacity or something. Yeah, and it's not like it's it was hidden by, or anything. Made by you DJI. saw it, it's, yeah. you know, and you're like, whoa, that's. Yeah. Like, I got to know a couple of those guys. They're really cool guys. But Are they? Yeah. So that was a lidar sensor, is what you saw. Ah. Um. Okay, so what do you think? Okay, so, and the big thing was it was everywhere, right? It was Colorado, Nebraska, mm-hmm. flying grids, they thought. Yeah. What- so, so my take on this is, is kind of an unpopular one because it, it, let me kind of set up a mindset of you, you, you hear people and, and Facebook, man, bad news travels fast on Facebook. Right. So you got all these people saying there's these weird swarms of drones and everything, and you're like, I want to go see a weird swarm of drones. So you go out. Knowing nothing about aviation, knowing nothing about drones, right? And you see blinking lights in your sky, in the sky, and you're like, drone, 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 drone. The thing that makes this area unique is we have a gigantic international airport in Denver, right? So what you have are large commercial airliners flying at lower than cruising altitudes because they're leaving Denver. Climbing up, going all directions, they're they're and they're coming into Denver. And depending on the the way that the um, the wind is blowing, they have different what they call arrivals. So, a typical arrival into Denver starts like 200 miles away. Everybody goes to this one waypoint, and then they follow this Congo line of waypoints so that they're all in a a, a uniform, and it's it's easier for air traffic control to. Uh, basically deal with them that way. So so what we have here in Burlington is when you have east-west arrivals, you've got lines of blinking lights up there. Out here. But what about some of those other areas? So so some of those approaches come in Nebraska. They come from and and here's the thing. I gotta I gotta like preface all of this with yes, I believe there were drones out there. Okay. I believe the drones were a really short time frame. I think they came quickly and they left quickly. And the sightings, there's kind of a, a trail gotcha. off. It, it basically, like the last week of December to like the first week in January, okay. where I believe there were legitimate drone sightings. I had, I had calls from like four different people in four different completely different areas mm-hmm. that saw the same thing. 
And I believe that those were real sightings. Okay. So the problem is if you go outside and you look up looking for a drone, you're looking for a blinking light. Right. And there's blinking lights up there. So I think that really quickly all of the sightings got really exaggerated. Sure. And after a while, I believe it was nothing but manned airplanes. Okay. But I do think there was something going on. I think they they were – in quickly and out quickly, and do you think it was military or business? Or I don't want to venture gosh, a guess. There's I mean, there's conspiracy theories that are really plausible, right? Either way, sure. You know, there's this broken arrow theory, where that's a term for like a lost nuclear device. Yeah, they have nuclear missile silos up by Sterling, and they think that something happened and one of their devices fell out of an airplane somewhere, and they were looking for it. I hadn't heard that one. Huh. To me, that's plausible yeah, no, because it is. of what you can do with these drones, especially the thermal camera at night. Oh, yeah. There's also competitive business case uses for coming out here in the middle of nowhere and doing R&D with your drones. Mm-hmm. We know for a fact that Amazon tested a drone system that was exactly like what people were seeing. Really? It was, I didn't even think about Amazon. Yeah. What better place to do it than out here? Out here where nobody, well, used to care. Now they care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thanks, Amazon. So there's a video out there that's uh, it's a couple years old at least, but, um, but Amazon had, it looked like a blimp that is like a flying warehouse. Think of it that way. No, I remember And all these little that. drones yeah. pop out of it. They deliver their packages and they come back, which is what I had heard this mothership type aircraft with a bunch of little ones going out, doing their thing, and coming back. Right. So there's a plausible mm-hmm. case study for it also. I had also heard a story that there was a military contractor in somewhere in California where they have a UAS system, and it's called the Gremlin. And it's an air launch, air recovery, small UAS. So you know what a C-130 is? Yeah. Cargo airplane, yep. four-engine mm-hmm. car with a big... Carries ramp everything, on the, back. the ramp, and all the equipment, right? So this system, there's the same theory as how you put a bunch of rockets on a pod on the wing, uh-huh. but it's a bunch of drones. And they all oh, fall yeah. off individually. Okay. They go do their thing. And so it, actually, it could have been testing. You never, I mean, they're all And possible. what's interesting about that, I saw a news article around that time where they had to go to a different testing location because there was an earthquake. Oh. They had, that company, hmm. that contractor has an office in Colorado Springs. It's like no, it could have been these, those are like, all. all of these theories see, that are like, I, man, that makes sense. I of. totally see how you think it could have just been here for a little bit and then everyone catches on, right? And then, yeah. it, and then it feeds itself and yeah. it perpetuates into this thing. So and one of the, the really big interesting things, which makes me believe that it's not a small operation like a guy like me out right. flying drones, is number one, you don't fly and be online of sight. Mm-hmm. Number two, they couldn't find an operator on the ground anywhere. So that last mm. scenario I threw at you, when those aircraft are done with their mission, they're going to there's the a drag chute behind the C-130 oh. that captures and pulls them up into the aircraft. Man, wouldn't that be something, huh? I, I want to see it. I mean, no, honestly, I'm just curious more than anything. But and, and there was people that would just swore these things were spying on them in their backyards, and, and I can't. So I had heard a story you know, about you. You know, I've gotten to know you better over the last few months, but I remember hearing a story that you got on, you got on Facebook, I remember, right? Because didn't somebody shine a light at you yeah. or try and, I so mean. So I, 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 because of my background, I've been flying drones for longer than I have not been flying drones. Right. So I, I, I have a good handle on the industry. And I, my phone 
was just going crazy <laughs> for like three weeks. I got calls from the FAA. Oh. I got calls from the Colorado uh, Highway Patrol. I got calls from news agencies because the company that I started that, that we did a lot of fixed wing stuff was headquartered at my address. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> and, and, and just knowing people in the industry, I just, I know people. When the guy from the FAA called me, he said, hey, are you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm with this company. He goes, oh, okay, yeah, okay. I just want to make sure this wasn't you. We need and, you to come down and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk to you. <laughs> but, but because I have aircraft that have kind of similar capabilities, yeah. people were asking me a lot about it. Sure. So I made it a point to try to go and find out for myself what people were seeing. I went out three separate times. In your plane, you went flying. Oh, I went once or, in the plane and okay. twice on the ground. We drove one night. We drove all the way up to Ray and east of Ray into Nebraska and came back, saw nothing. Right. We were flying around or driving around where people were saying, here's where I spotted one five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And I did see manned airplanes. And, the, and yeah. if, you, if you're not sure what you're looking at, they can look like they're flying in weird patterns. Sure. Because if you see a red blinking dot going this way, and then you see another red blinking dot going this way. If you don't see them cross and go out of sight, you might think that that one was turning and going back the other oh, direction. Easy. And most of the sightings that I, and I'm trying to really get information from people on what they saw. Right. And everything that they described was the standard FAA identification light pattern. Ah. So you got a red, okay. a red light on the left wing. A green light on the right wing that are steady. Okay. And then a white light on the back. That's the standard position lights for an airplane. And drones don't have that. Kind of. They kind of do. Um, Depending on the use. So I have strobe lights because I have a night waiver to fly these aircraft at night. But I have to have strobe lights on them that are visible from at least three miles away. So that would look much different. But if somebody didn't want people to know... it. Right. But then why would they have lights at all? Well, that's the thing. That's the, exactly. You know and, I mean? and, and if they really didn't want to be seen, they would not have yeah. lights on. And so that's where I'm thinking it's not so malicious. And it's just people doing their thing. They don't have to tell anybody that they're there. We kind of have a code of ethics when we're flying drones that we, we notify the neighbors, let them know that we're yeah. around, that we're going to be flying this pattern with this aircraft, just to be a good neighbor. Right. But you don't have to. Yeah. You know, so, so all these sightings I was getting that were – that I could verify were not drones. Dude, I bet it was Amazon the same thing. or something business-driven. Because I, if it was military, they wouldn't want to be seen. They wouldn't be. Exactly. Right? They if don't it was cartel, be. something weird that didn't want to be here's, seen, here's, they and, wouldn't and, have been seen. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy at all. But when I told you about that last one with the C-130 that dropped out the little drones and they come yeah. back, out of nowhere, one day in January, I had two C-130s fly approaches into Burlington. They can't well, there you land. Go. They, they're too heavy to land. <laughs> right. They can't land here, but they're out practicing approaches, these these instrument approaches, which I have the facilities for to get to the airport if you can't see the runway. Yeah. I've never had a C-130 fly an approach at Burlington. Oh. I think we solved it, man. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's like <laughs> it's every, one of national. These, every one of these <laughs> conspiracy theories or, or possible, you know, explanations they, right they kind of hold water in their own right yeah you know and and but we, it's we it's good to hear know. somebody that actually is educated on it right not yeah. just somebody yeah. guessing and, and, and people the reaction i got they were mad when i told them hey <laughs> i think you're seeing a manned airplane and here's why this light pattern and i i show them on a map so during all this i have a 
I have this app on my phone. It's called Flight Radar 24. Okay. And it uses this new system that's implemented for manned airplanes. It's called ADSB. And it's literally a ground based radio network that your airplane transmits its own GPS position, altitude, speed to this ground based network. And then you can use it for traffic collision avoidance while you're in sure. the air. And you can also use it for just flight tracking. So I have a receiver on the hangar at the airport. So I have my own receiver for that traffic that feeds into their national network. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything within basically 250 miles of Burlington, I can see it. Oh, wow. All the way down to I can see where an airplane parks on my parking apron because it's that accurate. It's using GPS. Dang. So pretty quickly in that whole process, I went to uh, the sheriff because I've been working with him pretty closely. If, if they saw something, they called me. If I saw something, I called them you know, just kind of working together mm -hmm. to try to get the load off of them more than anything because they don't know necessarily what they're looking at either. So when they had something come up, they said, hey, it's over here. Can you go check it out? So I was working with them that way. So I, I gave them a login at dispatch to my account. Okay. So the business account is, is just better quality. You get more tracking aircraft. It, it, it's, it allows you to see whatever's out there. 250 people, miles. Yeah, so. you get people calling dispatch all the time saying they see drones. So they say, where's your position? Which way are you looking? United 87, Denver to Baltimore. It's right there. Yeah. So, and again, I, I really do think there was something out there, but I just think the, the, the scale of it was exaggerated. Gotcha. And, and I'm out there one night, and, and I, I jumped in the airplane because I could cover way more ground, and, and I'm just watching the people on Facebook. That There was groups that were like, I see them in my town. I see them in my town. I flew all the way to Fort Morgan, following these sightings and saw nothing. But what's interesting about it is they saw me and I, there was like a breadcrumb trail of where I had been. And they're like, we saw it again. I just saw one five minutes ago. And it's like, no. And, and, and so I'm coming back into Burlington that night. And this was probably nine o'clock at night or something like that. And you have your, what you call final approach. It's the, it's straight lined up with the runway in your final descent to land. And you have one turn to make before that. It's called your base leg. Mm -hmm. So I'm on base turning my final leg, and the whole cockpit just lights up. Someone was oh. spotlighting me with a LED floodlight, like a like one of those like has a handle on it, you know. And it was so bright. Down right by the airway. I mean, by the on the ground landing? on a dirt road east of Burlington. They Damn, thought I was man. a drone, a, a 2,500 pound gas engine, and that's dangerous. Obviously, it's a felony. Oh. If you interfere with a with an aircraft in operation, it's a felony. Mm. But and, and I, I I saw this this basically somebody tagged me in a comment thread on Facebook where somebody had said they're everywhere. My nephew just saw one land in Burlington. And you're like, oh like, if it's got blinking lights on it and it's got an engine and it lands at an airport, it's probably an airplane. Yeah, it's not a drone. But that's just everything people were seeing after that time was manned airplanes, but they all uh. thought it was drones. And and that made me really nervous for the safety of, here's one, we have a helicopter based out of Hugo that, that does uh, air ambulance. Yeah. We are, Burlington is their number one highest, whatever you call it, place that they go to. The, the, yeah. To pick up patients. They pick them up there, take them to Denver. That's where Kevin Stansberry came from. So they fly 1,000 feet off the ground, which is pretty low altitude, mm -hmm. from Hugo 
to Burlington, I thought these guys are going to get spotlighted or shot at or something like that because yeah. it's going slower. It's got blinking lights. I was just genuinely nervous for, and I told some of those pilots, I said, Hey, be careful because there's some people that can't differentiate between the two and they're getting kind of antsy. And, and it, and it obviously kind of cooled off a little bit. And it but died, died down and it we haven't heard yeah, it since Yeah, we then. haven't really heard much from that. Huh. But well, thanks for, because you know, right I'm, after that, we just go right into the next catastrophe of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody kind of forgot about it. I kind of oh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not even drones, worried about honestly. drones. Now we've <laughs> yeah. got COVID. Yeah, I know. I kind of want to go back to that. The, yeah. The know. drones didn't seem so bad now. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and then, an so one year. other thing that kind of popped in my mind, how many drones are registered? Like, I mean, out here, is that, uh, so that registry, or do you have any idea? I mean, so it's all public record, right? I, yes. I'm not sure how to access that. And I don't know if that's a, a freedom of information type request huh. that takes yeah, I was just six curious. months. I mean, and, um, I'm not sure that's a good question. Huh. Uh, there's there's more than you think. Oh, I be, no, I bet there is quite a bit. And and there's people like me that, that have side businesses and can, you know, operate these things and make money off of them. And, yeah. and so they're out there mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of why there was a, I don't want to call it heat on me, but I, I, you know, getting a call from a captain in the, on the uh, highway patrol asking me about them. And then the FAA also, it was, you know, they, they have, of course they have access to, they were probably asking more to like pick your brain on what you thought it could be. Yeah. I and mean, it kind of did come to that a know, little bit. Right. I mean, cause yeah. you're the airport manager. I mean, your history, your record speaks for itself. Yeah. So, well, and it's, I just, I've, I've been in the industry for a long time and, yeah. and I, 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 and more importantly, I kind of know the capabilities of consumer products, consumer drones. Yeah. And what I was hearing was way beyond the capability of consumer drones. They're talking like three hour endurances and, and flying, yeah. you know, hundreds of miles, that kind of thing. That's beyond, I'm not saying it's military, but you know, it's, it's beyond what an average person could afford. And sure. Afford it. You're going to, if you follow one of those long enough, you're going to find the operator cause they have to land. Yeah. They're not going to have like a C one thirty yeah, in their exactly. hangar. Yeah. You need to, you need to Google gremlins. Those things are, cool. I will, I'll Google, I will Google that. And then I, I seriously think it was that, I think it was the mothership dropping those. Out. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but, but long story short, I do believe there was something out there that was unmanned. Mm-hmm. By the way, whatever happened to a good old UFO sighting? Why is everything a drone now? Yeah, because, well, we know UFOs exist, right? It was proven. They released that this year, too. Yeah, I know. No, did you see that? Where the Navy, I mean, he yeah. they said, hey, it's they showed the Tic Tac. And that, yep. so, but that's a whole different show. Oh, I know, I know. I, so. just, I just miss a good old UFO sighting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, don't don't make it about my drones. I hear you. Well, do you, can we look at some of this stuff? Because I'd like to yeah, see, so, I mean, whatever so you think is cool, man. I You know? Like you were showing us like one of like, I'd like to see some of the cool uh, videos that you're shooting for like farms and ranches. And I'd like, I wouldn't mind. I mean, if you have real quick, I'll throw this one up there. This is the, this is the drone. Whoops. Is that going to be okay on the video? Yeah. Cool. All right. Apple. Come on. There we go. So this is the, this can be kind of misconstrued as a scary evil drone. (laughs) This is this is my thermal. That's a one. Terminator. This drone is a right this is a drone to drone aerial photo. By the way, this is oh. uh, down in oil country. Down so in Texas. So you like took it with that one, or I one took it with that, that one little guy to to that one. Yeah, to that one. So just so kinda, that one is actually this guy right yep, here. Yep, that is kind of yeah. That's a little yeah. So um, trying to think, I've got I've got some stuff that we can take a look at. By the way, let me just show you real quick on and this is this is uh, anonymized and. 
This is uh, this is not like proprietary, so I can show some of these okay. pictures. So this is basically what you're looking at. Um, this is to the untrained eye, even to us here. This is this is just a thermal image. This is a top-down thermal image of an oil pipeline. There's two pipelines here. One of them is oil, and the other one is water. And what you're seeing is the road around it, and then all the brush and everything. So what the software does is it takes a certain temperature threshold, and anything above it, it flags that. And then in the report that we send to the customer, that's what they can go out and actually ground truth and test, as opposed to them just going out and looking around on the ground. We could say, go to this spot because this is an interesting, you know, this is something that, that might be worth looking at. How did they do this before? I mean, was there a way or they'd have I, to? I don't, that's a good question because you're either using a ground-based thermal camera. Or sensors of some type, this right? big on the ground. Yeah. Or an infrared thermometer where you're just walking around taking temperature readings hmm. or looking for puddles or, or, or muddy spots or something like that. Hmm. So I, I'm, I'm not really sure what they used uh, before that. But that's uh, that's down in. And, in the, and I, I know nothing about this, so if these sound stupid. but And that one, were those buried? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're so, like five feet below ground, but, but then you like can an see because inch. from up top you can see yeah. it. Then, but there's a lot of not to get too into the scientific part of it. But what we're seeing, we're not with a thermal image. Let me go back to that. Where was it? With a thermal image, you're not looking at a traditional image like a camera sees. This is literally a sensor, and you're seeing reflected heat. Oh. So what I have to do with this camera is I have to calibrate it to the conditions. So it's called an emissivity setting. This is, this is emissivity. Real, real geeky. Okay. So different surfaces reflect heat. Emissivity. E- emissivity, sorry. <laughs> potato, go ahead, potato. Go ahead and spell that. It's <laughs> emissivity. Yeah. So, so different objects, like a, a metal plate, reflects heat differently than bare dirt. Okay. So with the, with the equipment that I have, I have to go in there and say, okay, you're looking at bare dirt, and it's a percentage of how much heat is reflected, and it's, it's a scale of 1% to 100%. Uh-huh. And some person much smarter than me came up with a scale of dry dirt is this percentage, wet dirt is this percentage, and you, know, you kind yeah. of you – and you also – I take ground readings with an infrared thermometer to kind of correct – any any errors? You mean or before you go and fly? As I'm flying it oh. in certain spots, I just take a quick ground reading, a quick air temperature reading. But I also set the air temperature reading into the aircraft because the higher you are away from an object, any kind of remote sensing, the poorer the quality of data is. And thermal is no different. So if you're really, really high above the ground, you're going to have particles in the air and the, the heat that you're re- measuring off the ground is not going to be the same thing that what you're seeing because there's particles in the air. It's called adaptive cooling with the wind blowing over something. So what you're seeing on a lot of these images, you're seeing a thermal shadow is what you're seeing. So you see a dark side of a plant and a light side of a plant. So I can tell from this image that the sun was kind of up on the upper part of the image. That makes image. sense, yeah. So there's How a high is the drone here? 200 feet. So the higher up, the bigger the distortion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of picked that altitude as kind of a, a good average of the two. It's, it's high enough that we can cover more ground more efficiently, oh, but it's low getting, enough that we still have good quality data. Because if you go lower, it's going to take longer. Yeah, and, and you have to take images quicker. And it's not going to be a better reading. It, it Not necessarily, because the speed of your aircraft has oh, a lot to yeah. do with that too. 
So we, okay. we have a really butter So there's zone a sweet spot of, that you're really altitude versus speed. And and what we're doing is we're taking images with a lot of overlap. So you're seeing the same like like a rock in there in the kind of the middle left of the image, there's a white rock. <clears throat> You'll see that in about six to eight images. And mm. when we go in and we map this together, that's how it is able to map the image into a, a long map. That is awesome. But it also averages those pixels. There's a whole nother, gosh, I don't want to get into it, but if you look at a spot on the ground from four different directions, it's going to look a little bit different from each direction, especially if there's a shadow on it. Yeah. So as that object is traveling through your image, here, when it's, when it's in front of me, I'm going to be looking at it from this side, but when it's behind me, I'm looking at it from a different angle. And what it does is it takes those pixels over all those images and it averages them all together. This is like geeky stuff. No, but and I'm just trying all, to think about even, that versus just being in top right over the top of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting an average of it looks weird from this angle. It looks different from the top down, what we call nadir. It also looks a little different from the back side. But that image is still different than the nadir when you combine the four. Yeah, yeah, because because you're 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 not the angle, so so the spot that's in the middle is nadir. But because of the field of view of the image, up here you can see the side of something that once it's below you, you're seeing the top of it. Oh. So when you get into like this, this really high-end data, you have to average those pixels together so that it's more accurate. And that's what the, soft, that's that's what the software's doing. It's taking yeah. all those yeah. different little pixels. Yeah, and that, this is getting into the real no, I know. nitty-gritty It's, it's pretty it. fascinating. And it's mm-hmm. not... You could go out and just take a picture of the ground and get something out of it. Mm-hmm. But this makes it a little more robust, a little more usable, I guess I would say. Accurate, a more accurate. too, for business purposes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's kind of built into the software. Yeah. Very cool. But it's all, and there's this really careful formula of if I'm at this altitude, I have to fly at this speed, I have to take a picture every certain amount of seconds, or the data is not good coming in. And is that something you had to just learn through trial and error? Yeah, yeah just doing testing. That's you pretty know? sweet. And we kind of came up with our own formula that works really well. And the, the old adage in the remote sensing world is garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't collect good data, you can't really do anything with it. You can't, you can't output a really high-quality product. Right. So, and, and, and one of the things that, that, I, um, that we used to do in the beginning of our company was all based around agriculture. <clears throat> so you take a camera. This is another, this is a whole nother like, tangent that we can yeah. go on here with the agriculture but it's the same theory as as thermal data so and this is for crops this is for crops so we found that if you look at a plant in the near infrared spectrum so we're not talking about thermal we're talking about just off the visible light spectrum near infrared which is really interesting is what bees and insects use to find flowers a flower taking taking a picture of a flower in a in the near infrared, it looks like a bullseye. And those, you know, different insects, that's what their eyes see in. Huh. So what they found is you can detect issues, stress, quicker in the near infrared spectrum than you can with the visible light, what we can see with our eyes. So we take these cameras and we modify them. We talked about a, a normal camera sees red, green, blue. So what we do is we put in a filter over the sensor that blocks out one of those three colors, and it replaces it with a near-infrared. So it's like uh, red, green, near-infrared. 
So the blue channel is now replaced with near-infrared. So anything that reflects blue light looks purple in a, in a near-infrared image. But when you process it, you can get a stress analysis quicker oh, and more accurately for crops. When, you, when you see it in that, yeah, in that near-infrared spectrum. Wow. So it's, it's an amazing tool. The problem is, is it's expensive and not everybody can do it. That's why you're not seeing it everywhere. And, and especially when, when, the, uh, when the farm economy, when, when you know, commodities drop in value, and it's, they, they don't need any of that extra stuff to produce a crop, basically. It makes it more accurate and more, you know, more cost savings and that kind of thing, but it's not really required. So it didn't really take off as much as we wanted it to. But, it's, but that could change it's over time usable. I mean, as technology yeah. gets yeah, better. And it'll get cheaper and quicker and easier. But it takes that process of making, making what we call a map. Let me see if I can find And what's the name of your company in case somebody's watching this or listening? How do they get a hold of you? Millier. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, and I don't really, honestly, for the things that I do, I, I don't advertise at all. I have no, but I, I mean, if somebody's some, hearing this and they're like, "Hey, you know, yeah, like you a real estate find me on or, Facebook, or agriculture," or I, or I'm in the process of of putting together a website. I have a URL. I have milliere.com, but it's not live yet. Gotcha. I just I own it, but I don't have I don't I don't have it up yet. Um, but yeah, you know, I I do most of my stuff in the videography photography area as opposed to the mapping and things. I have that that ability. I just don't do it as much anymore. Gotcha. I mean, it's one of those things. If someone calls you a customer that needs something, you try, and try, to, try to accommodate them. Yeah. Yeah. Business 101. Um, not sure if I have. What I was looking for was that the really goofy um, uh, near-infrared image. And I don't think I have any. I've got so many different files to try to go through. I, don't, I can't find any right off the top here really easily. But uh, No worries. Do you want to see some? Let's. How about we look at just some like cool, pretty video? That works for me. Okay, let's go. This was a ranch that I flew in southern Kansas. See some of the pretty. Let's take a look. And these are all clips. So when I when I go out and film something, I get a bunch of individual clips, and then that's what you make the video out of. So it's not like every every video file is like this beautiful, amazing shot. You put them together. So we'll just look at a couple of clips here. This is... Oh, yeah. Check that out. Play. There we go. That is really... Pre- look how clear that is, too. Yeah. That's with that new little one, with that little 48-megapixel sensor. This yeah. is a $700 drone that if you can if you can fly it smoothly, and this isn't super smooth, but I'm taking clips out of it to get a nice, smooth shot. But you get some amazing results. This drone, five years ago, would cost four or five thousand dollars for the quality that you're getting but because of that price war with you know sensor manufacturers for cell phones and and those kind of things it's it's much cheaper to put a nice camera on these drones uh let's look at another these are kind of a cool one what's your favorite thing to do with them video 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 yeah it's it's kind of fun to be creative and get Get cool shots. There's some coyotes. Oh, yeah. Around. Check that out. That's really, pretty cool. And really if you're just listening, we're just there. looking at some beautiful yeah. land. So, so this is a, what we're looking at is this, it's, this is HDR video. So what I was telling you about, you don't notice any areas like those shadows underneath some of the shrubs and things like that. 
that are so dark that you can't see them. Also, the sky is not completely blown out. It was it was kind of hazy towards sunset, but that's what you would call HDR, high dynamic range. Yeah, that's that is awesome. And that's something that that comes right right in the sensor of the camera. It's just part of the. I can see how it'd be easy to get kind of really enthralled with this. It is just it, once it, you start flying, you know, and and that's I I haven't done it. Yeah, I've got my hands in enough stuff that it's just yeah. like I just you know I know yeah, if you go down that path, because, yeah, man, because, I mean. Because there's always something better and newer. This company is amazing at coming out with just enough new features on their next drone to be like, oh, man, I really need that one. Yeah. If my wife is listening, she's cringing right now because <laughs> she's like, I know, I know. <laughs> so, Going over all this luckily, stuff. Luckily, I can, I can sell the services of the aircraft and right. recoup the cost of them. And so that's I kind of have that going for me. <laughs> That's funny. But there's some really cool, um, you know, you get into some of the, uh, just the photography side of it. So we're, we're talking, uh, if, you, if you've got the newest edition of the paper, not sure yeah. at the, when it'll come out, but uh, we've got I some drone I think this one was today, pictures. right? Yeah. We've got some drone pictures of the, uh, of the progress of that. Check this picture out. Yeah, Doesn't that, that is look cool. like a, like it's miniature. To like me, that looks like model. it's fake. Yeah, that looks like a model. That's called. Is that what's on the cover right here? Then? No, no, that's oh, a different. Okay. One. That's called tilt shift photography, and it, it came from a physical photography technique where you got this weird mount on your lens, and it literally moves the lens around, and it creates a depth of field effect like if you're if you're zoomed in on something really close. So you notice the top and the bottom of this image are. Out focus. of focus, but just the, but just middle, the middle is in focus. focus. So, so it gives you that effect that, that, effect that, that those guys, guys are little, it's like a model, like a model or something. Like, They're so like, so, so it's because of the the effects on the top that, that looks like little models. models. Yeah, and, yeah, and you can do this digitally now. You don't need a weird camera lens adapter. You can take a picture. The problem is, you can do that on Instagram. Thanks, Instagram, for for devaluing this cool technique. But, huh. but it's 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 got and this is through a very popular photo editing software. I don't know if we can say Adobe on on here, but um, I think we can. <laughs> so so yeah. So there's so there's some you used, you to, used have to have to do this manually in that software. In that software. Now there's stupid, stupid presets, presets so everybody can. Do it. <laughs> it used to be way harder. Huh? Yeah, it used to be hard. Like all this stuff, like five years ago, they're like, oh, that's crazy. And now she's like, I got it on Instagram. It's like not that cool. But just so you know, like, like as she whips out her drone, she's like, "Watch, that's nice to know." Here's how I do my thermal reading. Just if you wanted like a one step to do it, you know, preset. Everything's a preset now. Instagram and Facebook. There, Daniel does this the hard way, but here, just click on this and it'll be done. Oh, that was a different. uh, (laughs) That's awesome. I didn't know that you could do that on Instagram. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, Let me pull this one out. I'm kind of new to this computer, so you have to bear with me a little bit. So the the project, let's talk about the, the uh, front page of the paper, because I'm really excited about this. We've been working on this project at the airport for five years now. Yeah. And it's, it's really difficult, and this, this project was not cheap by traditional standards, but it's really difficult to get an aviation-specific contractor out from most likely Denver to come and bid on and do a project inside of their parameters because you got to put guys in hotel rooms and, and it's just, it's not easy. So, mm-hmm. so this project was just under a million dollars. The, let me just I'll put a picture on here. So people that are, that are watching can see what we're talking about. 
So we call this a taxiway turnaround, and all that new pretty concrete is what we're looking at. Basically, what that does is it gives an aircraft that's coming down the runway to, to take off. So let's assume that they have to take off that direction. Uh, they have to get to the end of the runway first. And what this allows them to do is come off of the runway, get outside the protected runway environment, and be able to stay down there, get their checklist done, get, get everything that they need to do ready for flight. And, and this is something that we didn't have before. Okay, so before you couldn't, you didn't have that swath. Yeah, and in fact, I got a little video. That's awesome. From the beginning, the day, basically like the day before this project started. So one thing I tried to do with this project was get video and pictures from the drone from every stage of it to just kind of show the progression. We're, we're looking at now a video of the original I don't even, you don't really call this a turnaround. This is literally just a piece of concrete that juts out so that if you have to turn around, it gives you more space. So how did they turn around before? I mean, you would just basically you just taxi come down off like, the side of the runway into that. I'm no pilot, but that's park. kind of a pain in the butt, right? And if you're I mean, flying a big airplane, that's tight. Yeah, that's what and, I'm thinking. And, and one thing, especially if it's a, if it's a um, heavy airplane, the tighter you turn, the more chance there is to actually damage the surface of the asphalt because you got a lot of pressure on your wheels and they're turning really tight. Mm. So, so, like so that's five all years so ago, I couldn't be down here in that concrete area while an airplane is landing because I don't have adequate room. They call it a, a uh, object free area. It goes from the center line to like 200 feet out. And so you can't legally be down there. So if someone's landing, you got to wait way up by the hangar until they do their, their rollout and they finish, and, and, and then you go out there behind them, taxi in. And all the while, you're, you're taxiing opposite direction of whoever's landing. <coughs> so huh. it's, it's kind of dangerous, and it, we still have to do that. So still, even when they're going around, the benefit now is, is you less of get, a chance you that you're going to ruin something or break yeah, the runway can, or yeah, and you can get damage, down I should there. say. And then get out of the way, and then when it's your turn, you can zip out of the Oh, but you still quicker. legally have to stay up there. Well, no, no, you can come down here as long as when that airplane is, is actually touching down, as long as you're behind those two solid lines with the little three dots. Mm-hmm. It's called hold, hold short lines. Well, there's not three. There's like seven of them. Oh, I gotcha. So, so you can have so two doing it at once. And now, yeah, you could okay. have two airplanes down there or however many you Whereas can before, fit. you could only have one. You could have any legally. Uh, no, you, that's you what I mean. You could only have one at all. The one landing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, and and part of this is that eventually, if you look at the the north south portion of the turnaround, it connects a perfect line up to the existing parallel taxiway. Eventually, the real long term solution is to have a parallel taxiway. Gotcha. But that's like five million dollars. Yeah. Just crazy, and that might be a low guess. And this, so, you you guys developed this plan like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, with our, with our consultants. Because you're like, look, we need a better solution. Yeah, yeah. And the problem was, you know, you think a million dollars is a lot, mm-hmm. but in aviation, that's not much. Right. Uh, so it was really difficult. We bid it out, I believe in 2015. We didn't even get any bidders on it because they want the $10 million projects in their backyard at DIA. Uh, you know, so it's really difficult to well, get a contractor invo- out yeah. here to do that. So luckily this time we were able to find a local contractor and they did a fantastic job. It, 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 it's when you like, I can't even, I, I can give you an example on how strict the FAA specifications are on this. So the last layer of what, whatever you'd call base course or base material before they pour concrete. 
So if you stretched out that curve, it would be basically like 600 feet long, roughly. Over that entire distance, their tolerances were three-eighths of an inch, plus or minus on how high they had to, they had to, that's like really hard. Yeah. But that was the specification from the FAA. They had to fall within that spec and, and they did it just fine. I mean, I, in my mind, I'm like, how do you even do that? Uh, yeah. That how do you area? do that? But they've got every step of the way, they've got surveyors that come out and, and check everything. And every single thing you see in that image has a very specific FAA spec, the color of the center line, the fact that it's got, black borders around it to make it easier to see. They have a rule for everything. The spacing of the reflectors on the sides. Dang. It, it is the the serve or the uh, the the engineering document for this that they handed the contractor when we awarded him the bid. Mm-hmm. It's like 600 pages. Were there multiple people that bid on that? Just one. Just one. Yeah. Just one local guy. Yeah. Thankfully mm-hmm. he bid it and it is not easy coming from a background of not working with the FAA to come in and do an FAA project because you've got like six people looking over your shoulder and everyone's saying, you need to do it that way. No, no, you need to do it that way. And it's like, it's, 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 it's just tough. And now that he's done that, I'm so happy because now we're going to have him back for future progress projects. Well, he's been through the FAA. Yeah. Now he's been through it. Now he knows what to expect. So he did a fantastic job as part of that. We have these lighted signs. So if I, Maybe I can zoom in on here. And then over on the corner, that's where <clears throat> the dish room's going to put their pizza truck or something. Yes. So you can just kind of go through that's there. A, and that's a fantastic idea. Right. How do you zoom in with a, with a Mac? Do you have to do this? There you go. Okay. Okay. Oh, come on, Daniel. Oh, look at that. There we go. There we go. There we go. So these signs that, and we'll get a closer one there, right there. They are lit signs that tell you basically, so this one, you're on Alpha 5 Taxiway, and you're looking at runway 33. So it tells oh. you where you are and what's in front of you. Those signs that we have on the rest of the airport, if we go way up here, you can just kind of see those signs up here on that taxiway and on that taxiway. They were all basically in disrepair. Over the years, we, we, we tre- kept trying to fix them, and the, the circuit boards, everything just gets... These they have like a circuit board that if it detects a fault, it shuts the whole thing down. And they were like they were falling apart. And some of those signs we got from Stapleton Airport when it closed. Oh my, that's like that was like in the nineties. No, that's like ninety six, right? When that closed, and it wasn't necessarily no. That was like ninety four. Yeah, nothing, nothing bad about that because. Those bigger airports have much larger budgets, and they phase out equipment before it actually fails. Where we use stuff until it's like held together with duct tape. But so so it was it was good quality equipment. It, it's just old and it's just yeah. falling apart. So we were able to get into this on this on this grant. We were able to get all new signs on the whole airport, and it was another it was an additional that's thirty awesome. thousand dollars on the project. Yeah, but anytime you can sneak a little bit more into a grant, and what's cool about this is. This project was funded 90% by the federal government, by the FAA. And as part of these big projects, the state CDOT, which we call CDOT Aeronautical Division, they pick up 5% of it. So the local airport is only responsible for 5% of the cost of these projects. Right. What's even cooler about that is we were able to find grant money to cover our 5%. So we didn't officially have any out-of-pocket expenses on this what a, a million-dollar project, which is just awesome. 
And, and if you can find the right channels, there's a lot of grant money out there uh, for, for airports specifically, and, and it works out awesome. So, so this project didn't cost a big lump sum to the taxpayers. Yeah, I know uh, one of my goals over the next month is to get a couple people in here to talk about grants from yeah. ETOG. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, there's three different – there's a lot of and, money out there that businesses aren't yeah, aware of. And, and if you – that's why there's literally people whose only job is to go find you grants, and you pay good money to get a big grant. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a difficult process. Mm-hmm. With with this, it's a little more. I don't want to pat myself on the back because it's not that hard. When in aviation, it's well, it's like they say, okay, here's the grant money you have. What do you want to do? And I'm like, let me get my list out. Yeah. And we're like, this. I want to cover this. I want to get this project done. I but do still, this. that whole thing was. And I know this sounds weird for me to say, but only a million because I mean that's a lot of content. You know what I mean? Seriously, <laughs> I mean, and, and it's it's going to last far- many many years. And that's why. You'll find in that article, I say, you really can't go wrong improving the infrastructure on your airport. Yeah. Especially concrete. Concrete is much lower um, overhead maintenance cost. You know, for this, you just go in and paint it every five or ten years or whatever. Get the, the paint, you know, refreshed or whatever you call it. So so that's going to be there for a long time to come. And we can connect to it if we get grant opportunities in the future to expand on it. And it's already there. There's nothing that has to be changed. It just you basically just connect to it. So that's awesome. It's, it's exciting, and, and anytime you get a good project like that, it's just awesome. And it's a big one. My, my my goal is to, without putting a huge burden on our bank account, just grow this airport and make it as great a place as it can. If, you know, it's it's one of the nicer airports in the area. Uh, there's a nice place for pilots to go in the lounge. I, I'm a geek, so I have. Apple TV on my TV in there so they can come in and watch their Netflix shows on their phones and their, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It, it's, it's a, uh, it's just a passion to, to go in and take care of a place like that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love it. <laughs> no, I can tell. And that's what you want, right? Yeah. I mean, you're doing something that you love. Well, and all you of know, this stuff. a lot of airports don't have a dedicated aviation person as their manager. Some of these airports, it's just an appointed person in the city. So they are not as well kept as an airport like Burlington where I'm an aviation person and it's my passion. And also, one of the things is to be able to – so I'll give a specific example. In the wintertime, about eight times out of ten, as soon as the snow stops falling, someone goes to the hospital and needs flown out. We Even right now – We've had like eight or ten uh, air ambulance trips this week already. This week? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was out on Tuesday night fueling an airplane, and an and a air ambulance came in, a helicopter. This was Tuesday night, and I was talking to the ambulance crew, and they said, this is our sixth flight this week already, and that was Tuesday night. Dang. So it's a valuable asset when it comes to that, especially when the weather's bad, because you always have someone on the interstate that crashes or, or something especially, like that. Especially, yeah. So – one of the things, one of my tools to notify the, those guys that are flying in on what the conditions are, it's called a NOTAM, Notice to Airmen. And it's a specific code that you can download on your phone. You can, you can, you can check the NOTAMs through your aviation apps on your phone, all that kind of stuff. But it's, you have to know what you're talking about to issue them. So I have to be able to go out and say, okay, the braking action on the first third of the runway is... Or, or or it's actually a number now. It's called a runway condition code. Okay. So I go out, I plug in the conditions into a formula, and it spits out this RCC. 
So it's a number between zero and five. Five being summertime, perfect weather. Zero being ice skating rink. So I have to go out and I have to observe the conditions. First of all, I have to plow the snow off of the runway. Yeah, I was going to ask, who, so who does that? I mean, that's you? Yeah. That's the, making sure that it's yep. all plowed, yep. de-icing it? What about like... So we, you, we can't de-ice. So, so the problem with... And I'm saying with, that not even knowing what that means. Yeah, so, so <laughs> what you would typically see like on a highway is either sand or magnesium chloride. Okay. Which is super corrosive. But you know, when you sit like in a Southwest plane, then they're de-icing. Yeah, so, de-icing so that's air. beyond yeah. our capabilities. Okay. We, we, we don't do that. But but a lot of people are like, why don't you just spray mag chloride on the runway and it'll all melt off? <laughs> right. You can't really do that. Because well, and wouldn't gonna, it destroy the runway too? It, yeah, it's not good for the runway. Okay. It, it can degrade the asphalt. And but you have to do all that. So you're out there plowing yeah. it. And as soon as the snow stops... So if we have a typical snowstorm that might end, you know, they usually blow all day and then... 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, it kind of tapers off. As soon as it tapers off, I'm out there plowing snow. 24 7, 365. It's a a a caretaker position. That's like, I I tell people if you count hours doing something like this, you're going to be depressed. You know, and, and, and you don't. You, you just, have to love it. And I love do. what you're and doing. I love you every know? second of it. Yeah, I, I mean, love to going do out something there like that. Plow, you know? And especially when. The second I get done plowing that runway, my phone rings, and it's the pilot saying, hey, we need to come in. How's the status of your runway? Ready to go. Well, imagine you if know. somebody's flying out, flight for life, or yeah. an ambulance. Like, you're, yeah. you're making a difference. Yeah. You might that's have saved somebody's life. Way I mean, out. Yeah, and that's kind of my driving, you know. That's my, awesome, my yeah. inspiration behind all of it is, is as soon as I get this done, it, it improves our quality of healthcare out here. And that's a big deal for a small town to have the, those kind of amenities and, and things like that. And even beyond that, we have the specialty clinic, the the foot doctors, the ear, nose, and throat guys that come out, the dermatologists. Yeah. They all fly out, and they there's a certain set of them that comes in every single week. There's actually three different contracts that come into Burlington right now. There's Health One, Centura, and Centera, and they all come in at different times. But in the winter time, when the weather's junk. You know, if I got the if I've got the runway cleaned off and everything's usable, they can come in, mm-hmm. and you don't have to drive to Denver to go see your doctor. Yeah, it's a big you difference. Know? So, um, there, there's a huge medical aspect to our airport, and it gets used literally every day for that purpose. Even today, we had a project that we were working on today, um, where we were doing some crack sealing. So this this runway is about 15 years old, and <clears throat> over time, mostly in the joints of where like one pass meets up with another one they spread out and they contract and stuff Mm -hmm. so what we do is we go in and and uh fill those cracks and then so that water doesn't get down through there so you have to do that occasionally this is actually the first time since this runway has been there that we've had to do that and that's where you started like four in the morning today yeah (laughs) so this (laughs) this machine and here's another thing that there's this really amazing network in colorado of people trying to help small airports get done what they need to get done so The CDOT, Colorado Department of Transportation, has a network of these these crack sealing machines. There's five of them spread out across the state, and you can use them anytime you want. You just call and schedule it, and you really? go pick it up. You, you bring it back, and huh. you just use it. So I went up on, what day was that? Wednesday. I went up Wednesday. Was that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday is Wednesday. Okay. It's another thing. You don't even know time anymore when you, nothing's, uh, we're, nothing's we're right like, there with you, man. It's, so. it's just hours on a clock, you know? So, so I went up yesterday, picked up the crack fill machine. Problem is the material in this 
pot, this, this thing, it's, it's, it's like five feet across. And it takes hours for it to heat up, like two hours. So I had to go out at 5 o'clock just to start it up and turn it on. And then I can't leave. You know, you can't leave this machine with a fire going in it. So I'm just kind of doing some stuff and hanging out. And then we start going at 7 and everything's heated up and ready to go. But uh, so it makes for a long day. I got to do it again tomorrow too. And here you are, fourteen hours later. I know, right? I'll be I'll be out at uh, I'll be out at five tomorrow, getting heated up again because we've got just a little more to finish off. But uh, but so we had a helicopter come in today. We had to close the runway as part of this crack ceiling project. But if you're careful about it, you don't have to close the entire airport. If you look at the the uh, parking apron up there, it's a big space. It's like two hundred thousand square feet of concrete, mm-hmm. and they can still land, and we can still so have they land helicopters coming. Yeah, yeah, so they land at the at the fuel pump, get fuel. But then no no planes could come in today. No, we did have one come in this afternoon. We actually cut the project short about thirty minutes so we could accommodate them. So we we is that like, enough time for it to dry and everything? Yeah, or? it takes like. 30 seconds for it to solidify and, and be good. So we were going to go till five and, and they called at about four fifteen. and said, Hey, can we get in? And I said, we'll, we'll get everything cleared off now. And we got them in and everything was fine. Nice. But that's like my driving force is to, to try to accommodate because it could be your grandma. It could be my grandma. It could be my wife. It could be, you know, yeah. who knows, you know, so you have to treat every situation with that thought in the back of your head where this could be somebody I know or someone's or me, you know, yeah. like, you never know. So there's a lot of work. People, there's a lot of people who've never even been to our airport, and don't know what the facilities are, what we have. It's it's a pretty valuable asset when you think about it. Any airport in a small town is a pretty valuable asset. Well, so and I think this explains what we're using it for. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not just people flying for recreation. I mean, yeah. it's it's, you know. it's there's there's a little bit of all of it. You know, the farmers use it because we've got spray operators that are based out of there that use it as their hub for when they're spraying. Um, you know, just general business people and general people that come in and out of Burlington, uh, they use it. We've had people that say, Hey, I want to set up a business here. What's your airport like? And they've, mm-hmm. they've handed them off to me and said, here's what we have. We can do this. We can do this. You know, so it's, it, it kind of uh, sets us apart too from yeah, some of the other surrounding absolutely, areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that people don't realize to, to run an airport. And I was, I was talking to, so I had a couple of a couple of guys from the street department come and help me run this crack filling machine today, and I was kind of explaining to them how specific, like I told them, everything you're looking at on the airport has some specific, like a specification on how it can be. So like the, that entire runway, it's it's five thousand two hundred feet long, and it's seventy five feet wide. Every edge of that can't have a lip of more than three inches around the whole thing. That's one little thing I have to go and make sure that there's not, you know, a spot where it is eroded away or something like that. Really? I can't have grass that's longer so than So do you tw- get inspected periodically? Yeah. yeah How from, often is from that? The FAA. From the FAA. I've been inspected twice over the seven and seven and five-eighths years I've been here or whatever that. So it's, yeah, so it's not like every quarter or something no, like that. No, not necessarily. But it, they can do it any time they want. But Why are the specifications just... For my own edification, why are they it's, so it's like a that, safety you're factor? About that, so that let's three let's talk about that three inches. So let's let's talk about that at the threshold of the runway. When you're landing, if you come up short and hit in the grass, if there's a big lip there, it can damage or destroy the landing gear of the airplane and cause an oh, accident. Okay. So for that guy who just can't quite find the runway, it just goes it's a, kind little of a safety off factor. And a little back on. Um, yeah, yeah. So that if you if you roll from grass to runway it's not a huge jolt 
But with a 75-foot runway, I mean, it ought to be pretty easy to find Yeah, you right? think that, right? <laughs> Again, just like, I know just nothing. Like, just like in cars, there's, there's really good pilots, and there's pilots yeah. that are not the highest of calibers, right. to put that diplomatically or whatever. Sure. <laughs> so. Bad pilots. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and for that reason, uh, the, the runway edge lights, the little lights that stick up, you drive by at night and the runway lights are on, it looks really cool. Yeah. Those have a special coupling at the bottom that the metal is really thin. They're designed, if an airplane hits it, they'll just break over really easily. And they're so breakable, I guess this term. They're so breakable, I've even knocked them over with my mower, the tire from my mower. I've got a little zero-turn mower mm-hmm. that we mow right around the lights. We go on to the next one, and it's much more efficient to do it that way. Just touching it with a tire, I've broken a couple of those over wow. over time. And I, so I've got a whole a whole stash of them basically that I can replace them. Everything's interchangeable and you're just doing everything down there. I mean, when you, you when you run a small airport, you are CEO and you're the cleaning person. Like you are everything in between. And, and I tell people I could be fueling a $30 million business jet, sweeping the floor, cleaning the toilet and communicating with the FAA in the same hour, like (laughs) everything in between. And, and it's, you know, one thing about aviation is when you have an aviation job, and this is probably apply to other professions, but 85% of that job is not specific to aviation. Right. There's this little piece of it where you're touching an airplane or fueling an airplane or whatever. It's only about 15% actual aviation. And the same yeah. thing with a pilot. When you're a pilot, about 15% of your time is actually sitting in the seat operating the airplane. You're filing flight plans or you're, you know, making sure the coffee is hot for your passengers or getting them their paper and, you know, all you're these just doing it things. all. Cause you're running a business. It's not yeah. all just aviation. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, everything in between you, you could be mowing or working on a grant, a million dollar grant in, mm-hmm. in the same hour. So you have to be a plumber. You have to be an electrician. You have to be a carpenter. Yeah. To, to, and, and the idea is my, my whole thought process is if, if I can do something, I don't want to have to pull a city employee another city employee away from what they're doing be, to help me wire a light socket or something. If you can do it. You, you know, just do it. Yeah. yeah. So it, it makes you more valuable as an employee. If you can be more well, more well-rounded, you know, if you can do more things, what kind of traffic are we getting? So, because my so, grandfather was an air traffic controller and yeah. I, you know, you think about Stapleton, he was up in Aspen. Yeah. We it's, obviously it's don't really, need that. Right. I no, mean, we, so when you're coming in in bad weather, you're talking to air traffic control, you're, you're talking to the, Air Route Traffic Control Center. They call it Center. So you're talking to somebody Denver. in Denver, and the nearest repeater for the radio signal is actually near Goodland. So it's repeating their signal, and you're talking to them not not on the ground, but basically until you're ready to land. That's in bad weather. You don't have to talk to anybody. There's no control tower here. This is called an uncontrolled airport. So it's uh, our our annual operations. Depending on the year, it's eight to ten thousand operations. Per year, so an operation is defined as a takeoff or a landing. Mm. So you know that's a lot. It is. It's I and mean, it's more than people think. And and I've got friends that 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 moved. They built a house near the airport, and they said, "Man, I didn't realize how much activity happens." What does that here. break down to a day? I'm thinking of the map. It, but it, it, like it 10, comes 000, and goes. Right? So I mean, yeah. So it's it's basically five thousand airplanes a year, and it could be. Man, I can go from two a day to 200 a day. If we've got a spray planes that are really busy. Have you had 200 before in a day? Not 200 separate airplanes, 200 operations. Mm-hmm. So 
we take had, off. You know, when it gets really busy yeah. with um, in the in the spring, they they spray the fungus out of out of wheat. It's called mm-hmm. rust, and they'll bring in multiple airplanes for each company. I'll have ten airplanes going just constantly, oh. and those times I can get a couple hundred operations in a day, pretty easy. So that is a lot of traffic. So they were like, Hey, well, this is a beautiful place. We're about by the airport. It's not a big deal. And they're like, wait a second. But it was all positive. They're like, wow, this is cool that there's so much. And, and it's, it's, but it comes and goes, man, it's, it's, you could have 200 operations a day or one or two or zero. I mean, it it just depends on the weather more, more importantly, the weather above anything else in the time of the year. So you get a lot more traffic in the summertime. And we kind of have this niche in Burlington. We're really close to the center of the United States. And there's a certain class of airplanes that are really fast, but they don't have a lot of range. And they're little single engine, uh, they're called a turboprop. So it's a jet engine that spins a propeller. Mm-hmm. And Burlington is a perfect mid-country stop for them. Oh, okay. And I get a lot of those guys. I, there's a certain number of people I get that go up into the mountains where mm-hmm. the fuel costs exactly like double what per gallon what it costs here. So they do something called tankering. So they'll come here, they'll fill up all their tanks, make a short hop to a mountain town, not take any fuel, oh. and then they'll fly out to another location where the fuel is cheaper. Okay. So that's what we call Save some money, right? Because, I mean. When it's double the price. Like if you're going to and, Steamboat and, or and Aspen or something. if your airplane holds 400 gallons of fuel, that's a, that's a significant amount of money when you go over that many gallons What's of the fuel? price of uh Per gallon. So, so that that particular fuel is uh, so if it's self serve, if you pump it yourself, it's two dollars and sixty cents a gallon, and if you if you have me pump it, we we add a little, we add twenty cents onto it for the convenience. But that's really not expensive. I mean, that's the, not even more than it's, normal fuel. It's then, right? uh, it's yeah, it's not bad, not bad at huh. all. That's why I kind of have my own little niche in Burlington for that kind of traffic. So how do you get, how do you get the word out about that? Is it just, it travels in circles like uh, pilots tell each other? So there's a, a a fairly limited number of aviation apps that pilots use. One of them is called ForeFlight and it's an awesome flight planning tool. And it has, you click on an airport and it displays the fuel prices. What's cool is you can go into your map and you can actually post the fuel prices on the map. So if you're flying in this general vicinity, I'm just going to be like, what's the cheapest fuel? Burlington. Oh, the airport manager's cool. I like that place. I'm going to come back. <laughs> but, but, yeah, oh, so, he brings so us out coffee and pizza. You, you, get, yeah, you, get, uh, you get the bargain hunters that, that want to buy cheap fuel. And because it's cheaper for me to pump the fuel, because I don't have a dedicated person in a fuel truck, you know, like Goodland, for example. Goodland is an awesome airport. I grew up there. I, I learned to fly there. But they don't have self-serve fuel there. So they have the cost of, a, of a, an employee all the time pumping fuel, a dedicated oh, employee. They've okay. got the cost of the fuel truck and all that kind of stuff. So naturally, it just costs them more to pump the fuel. So it, it, just, it, it has to be more expensive. But there's a dedicated – it's an awesome airport, and there's dedicated mm-hmm. people who will go there anyway because they just have great customer service. Sure. Um, but, you know, there's a niche for everybody. And, and you know, we're – you know, besides from Goodland, we've got Burlington, and then there's nothing until Denver that has jet fuel in this swath of, of the world. Yeah, and you do have traffic going to the mountains a lot through yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yep. So there's a, there's a all kinds of a mix of different aircraft. I had, uh, this was when the, when the prison was still going, they had an inmate transfer where they flew in somebody, I think it was from like Kentucky or something, where they 
had to transfer a guy in shackles and they they wanted to fly him, so they came into Burlington and and it worked out because they needed it and it was there. Yeah. So it's it's a really vast, I guess, purpose of use for for whoever's coming through what they're doing. People going for vacations. I get people four or five times a year that come in and stay in a tent overnight out in the grass. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we have a really pretty little grassy area right behind the fuel pumps next to the hangar. And I'll have a few people come and say, hey, can I just camp in a tent there? Yeah, sure. That's Happens pretty, a lot. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You just don't hear stories about I had. That, I, I always mean, remember this story. There was a, a kid that was flying through in an airplane that was built in 1946. And he was building hours to become a commercial pilot to be able to fly missionary flights in, uh-huh. in other countries. So these, these faith-based organizations fund small fleets of airplanes to move medicine and people and different things in, right. in developing countries. And that's what he was training to be. But this kid, this was like the coolest experience. He was, it's like he stepped out of the 1940s and into my airport. Really? Like his clothes, the way they fit, the, it, he just, in his, his mannerisms, it was like this weird time traveler thing. Vintage, just, just yeah. a cool dude too. And just like people like that all the time that you meet that, it was it was just really cool. When was that? How far? This was a couple of years ago. He came oh, in. That's pretty cool. Came in one night and he he asked if if he could just sleep on the couch to save money. I said sure, you can. So we have yeah. a, a, a portion of the lobby that's accessible to pilots after hours. So there's a code on the door, and the code is actually the frequency of our um, of our uh, weather station. So a pilot would know that, but a person. Yeah, it's not a pilot have any wouldn't, idea. wouldn't know. Right. So, so pilots can get in, they can go to the bathroom, they can get candy or a drink or something, and there's there's a, a, a pilot lounge in the back, and then there's a lobby in the front with a TV and everything. And occasionally I'll get people that say, hey, can I just crash on the couch for the night? Sure, no problem. That's pretty awesome, man, yeah. you do that. Yeah, and that's kind of what the, the, the olden days, that's kind of what the purpose of an airport was. It was to facilitate... Someone flying in and you take care of them. You, right. you, if they need a ride to town, you give them a car or you take them into town. You know, you you try to take care of them, and that's kind of what it's all based. On. And that's what's neat about little airports. That yeah, it's not commercialized. It's not everything has to be money. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And that's where that our customer service is really where it kind of shines. Is is if I can help you, if you need something or whatever, I'll do whatever I can in my power to you know make sure yeah. you have a vehicle to run to town or. Or something like that if you need something. So Cool. Well, I know we're lucky to have you, man. Well, I appreciate no, that. Seriously, it's, I it's, mean I you know, the community, the airport, everything. So it's it's a lot of it's it's like I said, it's my passion and it's it I I have never felt a second that I'm going to work when I go out there. Because it's honestly like when I'm not officially working, even though I don't really have hours, I'm right. just I'm I'm you can find me there eight to five Monday through Friday, but I'm always there on the weekends. You right. always have to check the runway in the mornings to make yeah. sure that there's nothing that could damage an airplane or something like that. So I check it on the weekends, and I just, I just want to hang out there when I'm not doing duties of the airport. You know, like. yeah. Well, when I meet somebody that's in something I can tell they love, you can tell. Yeah, you know, they just want to talk yeah. about it. They want to do it. I mean, and, and if you, know. you were an employee looking for a job. This is the wrong place to go. Right. Because if it feels like a job, it is going to be a job. And when you get your phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning to go fuel a helicopter, you're not going to want to get up, you know. But it's a passion of mine, and that's what I love to do. So 
it's it's a whole different deal, and it's it's really time intensive if you think about it that way. Right. So, but but airports are just cool places to hang out too. Yeah. You know that we've we've got rental rental space uh, for for people that have air, airplanes in the community. A lot of times you'll see them just hanging out, you know, with the door open with their airplanes and. Well, it's its own little community. I mean, it's like yeah. got people that go up in the mountains with RVs, you know. I and mean, and where like, do you, you think know? that ten-year-old kid who decides he wants to be a pilot? Where do you think he goes to go learn about He's airplanes go down there and, stuff? and hang out? Exactly. And this is a little out of the bounds of a kid riding a bike to the airport, like like I had growing up. But you know, and and I do I do some things throughout the community throughout the year where I try to encourage aviation and. Well, I, I know one thing that I'm doing now is Cub Scouts, and we're going to have you down. Yeah. You just don't know that yet, but I, we're going to have you as a guest. Just sign me up. So <laughs> we've been going for a while, but one more thing I wanted to touch on, because I think it's important, is rotary. Yes. Right? And, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that and what's yeah. going on with that, and then we'll call rotary it good and we'll have is, you back. But. Rotary is, is this amazing organization for people who have a giving heart to, to meet up and do really cool things. For their communities. And that's the, the, I have to say, a giving heart because we volunteer ourselves for all kinds of things and we're happy to do it and that's what we love to do. And um, it's such a cool organization. One, I'll give you a, a specific example. I, I'm, I head up this flag project that we do. Right. And I told the guys we, when, we, when we plan our flag holidays, I say, okay, everybody show up at the place where we store our flags. Everybody come at 7 a.m. The last guy shows up at like six forty-two. That's amazing. And where else do you find something like that it, where everyone is excited to do it and yeah. they get there? And I have to remind them, I'm like guys, don't show up until like six forty-five, maybe, please. That's usually not the way it is. For that for that reason, on those days, I'll go out at six fifteen and unlock the door because I know I might be the last one to show up if I show up at six forty-five or whatever. Ah, that's so neat. It's and and what's neat about it is we do things for our community. It's not for like a group of communities or whatever, when we bring in money, that money gets dispersed into Burlington. And we've got all kinds of projects we've done. The, the Chromebooks for the schools. Okay. We did uh, those uh, smart boards. And, and it's, it's an organization where if you as a community member have something that you, a passion you have or, or a project that you want to fund and you don't have the, the money for it, you come, you talk to the Rotarians at a meeting. We have a meeting about it, we decide if we want to fund it or not. And a lot of times we do. I mean, there's a lot of things in the community that we've, you you, know, you guys did the park, right? Yeah. I mean, with, that was such a cool deal. Because that's such a neat park. That I was mean, the coolest snowball situation. The way I understood everything is we, it was about a $200,000 project that were, there were grants coming from here and here. And all these things, when other organizations got wind of it, they started saying, okay, well, we'll donate that rubber uh, playground material yep. that you have the base of. And that stuff is not cheap. That stuff's And awesome. then all of a sudden, now we have a splash park. Yeah. And now we have all this really cool exercise equipment because we've got a, a, an Eagle Scout, and that's going to be their project. And it just it just snowballed into this, like, million-dollar project right. that is just a cool place to hang out. And and it's a lot of fun, and that's we're, we're really proud of that one. That one's as, really as you guys deal. should be. Uh, what's next? What are you guys working on now? Uh, a little baseball field project okay. that is is coming up pretty quickly. We and it's a it's a really big project. But one thing that we'll do is is we can match 
like if we need a percentage for a grant, we can fund part of that. And we've, we've already made some financial, uh, um, what do you call it? Promises or yep. to, to say, okay, well, we're going to fund this part of it. And because that the unit projects like that, it's, it's a big project right. and you get multiple organizations involved. To pledge and, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're working on that. We, we got our two big fundraisers. Um, flag project is one of them. Our rooster roundup project is a really big one that's coming around the, in uh, November and all that money, 90%, maybe 95, 97% of the people are all from the front range on that, that come out that, yeah. that pay I've for heard their, about that. Yeah. That is such, that is one of the coolest. That's pheasant, right? Yeah. For pheasants. Yeah. So we got these farmers out here that are awesome. They donate the use of their land. So you, as a guy in Denver, I want to go hunt pheasants. Where do I go? Pay an entry fee here, and you can hunt 60,000 acres out in Burlington. So they come out here, they stay in our hotels, they eat at our restaurants, and then the, the money that we raise from that goes into projects in the community. Yeah. So it's a really cool deal. And I want you to get involved in Rotary. <laughs> I, I want you, where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start leaning on you, because guys like you, that's, that's who we want in the club. And we have meetings, and, and we meet, and it's, just, it's a really good time. And it's all like-minded people who want to give and, and do good things in their community. Right. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, I definitely, when that comes up, so how do you guys promote that? The Rooster Roundup? Yeah, is it there's, just because you've been doing be it for some so advertising. long? And that's what, another thing that's really interesting. We've been doing this for 30, gosh, I might be wrong on this, but it's, it's right around 35 years we've been doing this. And it's a very small percentage of new people every year. It is. Some of these guys have been doing it for 35 years. They have. So when, when I, before I moved um, down here in Denver, we, I helped an organization called Food for Thought. And what they would do is <clears throat> they would meet on Friday mornings down by Metro, and we would pack food uh-huh. for the, the really low-income schools. And instead of just doing um, lunches to some of those kids that, you know, needed it, you'd do it for all of them. Yeah. So nobody got singled out. Yeah. And then they would take cool. it down. When I was doing that, I, I ran into some guys that were coming down just donating, and they were talking about that, yeah. about the rooster yeah. heading down there. They yeah. had heard about it. And so. they look forward to it every year. Even if the hunting is not good, it's just a it's an experience. You see the guys with their kids bring them out, and it's their first yeah. hunting experience. It, it, it's such a cool deal. So Well, maybe when that comes up, we can have somebody from Rotary down here, or you can come back, and yeah. we can try and boost yeah. it and get as many yeah, people as absolutely. possible. So. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, we're going to have you back for sure, and thank you so much for coming in. I, I mean, I this was fascinating. We covered everything we, we needed. but <laughs> and, and, you know, as well as I do, we could talk for another three hours. If well, we had the yeah, I'm going to have you come back. Because so. we, we touched on drones, but we barely scraped. Yeah. I mean, I think the capability yeah. and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. These things can do some pretty amazing things. So. Right on, man. Thanks. <laughs> Till next time, all absolutely. right? Absolutely. Appreciate it. All right. It. See ya. See ya.